This week's episode of Astonishing Legends is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus, Beachbody, Casper Mattresses, Mission to Zix, and our contributors at Patreon.com. And we're back. Hey folks, thanks for all the great feedback on the Kelly Hopkinsville series. Unfortunately, the Kelly Green men did not return during the eclipse. As far as you know, how do you know? Well, they may have been here all along in those caves in Kentucky. (laughs) It might be possible. Anyway, we just got back from Podcast Movement 2017 in Anaheim, and we really wanted to extend a special thanks to our hosting platform and ad sales partners at Audioboom. They really have an outstanding team over there, and to say the show wouldn't still be going without them would be an understatement. Between them and the relationship they have with the companies that wind up sponsoring us, we're able to keep doing our show and also keep it free for you guys. Yeah, and I'd also like to thank them for all the great company and the food and beverage they so graciously provided us while we were there, and I just don't think they knew what they were getting into. Yeah, and we picked (laughs) up the tab on that, we'd be out of business. (laughs) Well, look, if you have a show of your own and are looking for a hosting service for it or someone to help with ad sales once you've grown a little bit, Audio Boom is where it's at. In other news, our new coffee mugs are in, and they're pretty awesome. Yeah, head on over to astonishinglegends.com and click on the store to get to them. We've got plenty in stock right now, so grab them while supplies last. You've always wanted to say that, right? (laughs) I have, and I just did. (laughs) And now for tonight's show, back by popular demand, the man who wrote the Mothman Prophecy screenplay and has also written and produced on shows such as Grimm, Supernatural, and The Gates, and also that one, what's that one he keeps telling us to watch? (laughs) Miracles. Miracles. He says that's going to be the one we're really going to (laughs) like. But it's a... We gotta get the box set or something. Yes. No, no. I I want him to sign each disc. Yeah. (laughs) Even though it's repetitive. Well, look, this is really the first show of its type for us. I don't even know what to make of it yet. (laughs) It's more of an off-the-cuff, topical show where we honestly just sat down, had some martinis and pizza, and then really went off the rails with the tangents. I'm actually not sure how well it worked. I asked Rich, (laughs) and he said he can't remember anything. Uh, Well, So that part went well. Yeah. (laughs) With that astonishing setup, let's get down to business. Welcome back to Astonishing Legends. I'm Scott Philbrook, and this is Forrest Burgess. I would like to distance myself from this episode. That's me, Forrest Burgess, right now. <laughs> Join us tonight as we discuss the 2017 Mothman sightings in Chicago with special guest Richard Haddam. Did we even get to that? Sort of. Hello, everybody. We are back in the studio with Mr. Rich Haddam. Good evening. <laughs> And uh, this show is going to be a little bit atypical. It's a atypical topical show, is what I'd like to call it. It's our first topical show, and uh, we're just going to sh- talk about whatever we want. We are also eating pizza, which you may hear. You asked uh, for it. Actually, no one asked for this, no, but no we're going to do it nonetheless. No, we got some uh, martinis. This is what you guys want. You want to know what these guys are like. <laughs> And I am finding out, and it is horrifying. (laughs) It is horrifying, but what we're going to find out about, and I told Scott this before, it's like, I don't want this fake baloney Rich Haddam that we got the other two episodes that everybody raved about. That is true. Exactly. Everybody wanted you to replace us. I want to know about the real Rich Haddam. What makes him tick? What scares him? You give me a drink, as you did? Yeah. A dirty martini? 
And this yeah, is going to be very different. You're going to see a different side of me. That's what we found out. And what makes Rich tick is actually a bottle of Tito's vodka. So, <laughs> so if you didn't like what you heard before, then you'll probably like this or vice versa. Or right. we're, we're just going to get more letters, which we will forward to you. Seriously, how many letters did you get? About you? Yeah. yeah. How many we, letters? Bad? You have to be oh, specific. No, you, are you, so you're discounting the emails. Well, I don't know. I've, I've been given no information. Yeah. I really don't know what the reaction was. Well, we didn't want to hear from your lawyer about negotiating your rate, so we didn't send them to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I'm going to say... double my rate from last time. <laughs> yeah. Even my son will tell you that two times zero is zero. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Guys, I'm getting pizza. Richard was this mostly is really the, positive. Yeah. Astonishing Legends is what I like to call putting on the dog. <laughs> Most of the feedback we got was positive. There were some negative ones, which we won't share. I want to know the negative ones. Well, I wrote them, so... <laughs> You, you probably won't see them, but All right, uh, then. I BCC'd Scott. And <laughs> the point, though, is that I think generally the audience loved our discussion of the nuts and bolts of this genre, which encapsulated in your film, The Mothman Prophecies, first. And secondly, I do want to personally thank you for introducing me to Orfeo Angelucci, because it's become oh, one yeah. of my favorite stories. I know. It really has. But not only because I live in the general vicinity— but there's so many things about it that just make it a great tale. The genuineness of the character of this yeah. real-life person, the fantastical nature of his story, which is so out there. You don't know what to make of it. I still feel like we should try to track down his kids, because they might be locals. They're, they're in their yeah. 70s. I mean, they'd have to be yeah. pretty old. But yeah. All right. What, well, what is it like to live with a guy who goes through that? Like, what is the actual family background? Right. What, what is it like to be with someone who's having these experiences? That's the thing. It's like, what if Scott had, he, you know, became an experiencer, had some kind of an abduction kind of thing happen to him, and suddenly he's like, you know what? Sorry, Forrest, but we're taking this podcast in another direction. I got to talk about this. And I'd be like, okay, as long as we can still manage to keep some sponsors, that's fine. <laughs> but what does his family think? What does his wife think? What does his well, child think in grade school that has to live with this? Your, well, dad's, and, your you dad's, know, dad's a space freak. Like, right, you know. Whitley Strieber, that's the perfect yeah. example. I mean, he writes about it in the most recent book, The Supernatural, right. that he wrote with Jeff Kripal. He writes about how his kids had to live with that. His yeah. kids had to live with, yeah, my dad is that guy. His wife became, God bless women. I mean, <laughs> they um, put up with so much. And my wife yeah. hates it when I just sort of say women because, you know, they're all the same. <laughs> right. oh, so, okay. No, let me, some let me don't put up with it. Del no, yeah. Yeah. My wife puts up with less and less exactly. as days go by ever since November. But anyway, <laughs> let me put it this way Ann Streber was like, I'm in. I'm with you. Yeah. You're going over Niagara Falls. Right. I'm with you. I'm going to organize these letters because when he published Communion, Hundreds of thousands of letters came in from people going, wait a second, it's not just me? And she organized those letters, and the information she came back with was really fascinating. Yeah. And one of the weirdest bits of information she came back with, which no one ever talks about, is the enormous number of people who experience UFOs, contact experiences, but part of that experience is also the experience of contacting the dead. Oh, that's interesting. It's really weird, and it never gets talked about. But Whitley Strieber talks about it, and he talked about it in communion, and it was 
immediately overlooked and everyone rushed to the grays, but no one ever took into account the fact that he said in one of his first contacts, he actually also met a friend of his who later he realized was dead, or maybe he knew it at the time, but this was, it was sort of a melding of the near-death experience and the UFO experience, which Kenneth Ring talks about in the Omega Project. Jesus Christ, I am drunk. (laughs) (laughs) The Omega. (laughs) My point being though, that Oh, there will be photos as well, folks. the, the, The people who wrote in, this was the number one connection they made, that it's like, oh yes, when I had my UFO experience, it connected to an experience with people who had passed on. Well, here you go. I talked about this with Scott before you got here, and we cracked open the bottle. Is that when people turn off their devices? How hard is that? Uh, Do not disturb. Uh, look, by by the way, by people, he means Forrest. <laughs> I'm clean. That's true. But as mysteriously, and this might be fortunate in a way, people are already complaining about this episode and it's not even airing. <laughs> I don't know how that's happening, but we're getting tweets. The point is, is that there is a distinction I wanted to make between the paranormal and the supernatural which is, and this might be too early because I didn't really read up that much about it, but I did read a great explainer. And basically the paranormal is just things that are phenomenal phenomena that can be explained by science. We're just not there yet. But the supernatural has to deal with things that are spiritual that may not even be in the realm of science, but are still strange and wondrous. To your point well, though, yeah, no, go ahead. No, to, to your point. <laughs> yes, sir. Forrest, Mr. Yeah. Burgess. hmm as Jeff Kripal, if that is how one pronounces his name, probably states in the book, The Supernatural, where do you make the cut? Where do you draw that line between what is paranormal and what is supernatural? What is within the realm of science to explain eventually one day, maybe, and what is totally and completely and forevermore out of reach of mortal man? Where do you make that cut? Well, to your point here, talking about this- Scott's here too, by the way. Oh, no, yeah. He'll just, he's just- I'm just settling in. Scott's going to have a wedge salad in a minute and a pecan pie later. <laughs> this really dessert. should be, we should be- In a restaurant. We should do this at the smokehouse. <laughs> this should be coming from the smokehouse. <laughs> this is, we're pretty darn close. Yeah. In fact, we're having an order of Texas toast cheesy bread delivered oh, later. The, the point though, you make a very interesting connection though between- those realms, the paranormal and the supernatural. And what I would say is that for a paranormal example, could be something like a UFO. You see that in the sky. Well, it's a craft. Okay, well, it operates, obviously, some kind of propulsion device. You're already making distinctions. Well, okay. Arbitrary distinctions. We don't know what we're looking at. But what I would say is if you're seeing a craft, a vehicle of some kind that looks propelled, non-ballistic motion, and then you see a ghost... Two things that are under the umbrella of the paranormal, but two different sources, I would say. The ghost does not come out of a machine, although there is a ghost box where you can kind of pick up their voices. My point being is that the ghost is more spiritual, and I would classify that as supernatural, because I don't know what science ghosts operate under, but the UFO may have some science behind it. Look at Orfeo, um, well, well, the quarter that dissolved yeah. and, and seemed to be dissolving and propelling but, as he took the trip. A, but it's so difficult to make any distinction. I mean, you're talking about the UFO people hate the ghost hunters. Right, right. We know this. Well, they, okay? a lot of them don't mix, yes. The farmer and the rancher should be friends, to quote <laughs> Oklahoma. <laughs> However, the UFO people hate the ghost hunters, and they both can team up Against the Bigfoot people. Yeah, the Bigfoot are the, they're the pariahs, right? <laughs> they're the pariahs. But Which makes, more actually, mo- that makes the most sense. It's just, what if it's just a creature that we haven't discovered? Because here's the thing, let's be honest, different phenomenon appeal to us on an aesthetic level. Of course, Some deep of us down, yeah. 
are more charmed by the notion of a haunted house. Others are more intrigued by the notion of something in the sky. Maybe it's an alien. Maybe it's something less physical than that. Others want to be in the woods hunting Bigfoot. That's awesome. But those are aesthetic values we're applying to the supernatural or the paranormal, depending on how you want to describe it. But the fact of the matter is, and more and more, I'm beginning to think it's not either or, it's and. Within the UFO community, there are the people with the ETH, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, Mm -hmm. and there are those who are more on the John Keel side of, these are ultra-terrestrials, there is something less physical about them. We're not literally talking about nuts and bolts crafts coming from other worlds. Right, right. Okay, great. And there's a giant division, okay? And you can listen to shows and talk to people and read books, and I've read them, where this division is clearly drawn. What if it's both? Who is to say that if one is true, the other must not be true? Absolutely. That's where it's heading, though. That's where the whole thing is going to have to take this uncomfortable liaison between each discipline, if you want to call it that, altogether deplored by skeptics and and, and rational scientific people. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah, exactly. But here's the thing. This is not a new term, certainly. The grand unified theory of the paranormal, which is that they're all connected somehow it's in also, their own way. By the way, that's also known as the gut pee. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> the what? This is when he chooses to talk. This is when he chimes <laughs> in. This. The grand unified theory of the pair, G-U-T-P, the gut pee. I'm going with that. That's fine. I, I like it. Well, I never thought I'd say this, but Forrest, I'd prefer to talk to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, n- I never envisioned that day as well. <laughs> there is something kind of connected, and that's a very interesting point where you say, There's a crossover because on the surface, you could say, well, there seems to be an overlay. What is this overlay between people who see UFOs? And guess what? There's 14 ghost sightings reported in the same spot. Guess what? Somebody also in the woods saw a Bigfoot, a Sasquatch. Yeah. So what is the connection here? And maybe it has to do with the keel perception or idea. Don't want to say theory because we got in trouble for that. The idea, though, that there is something kind of connected on the other side of this veil that we see, but we don't know how yet. By the way, we don't owe anyone the respect or the deference of being careful about using the word theory. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're handling this because this was a long email I was going to have to answer later (laughs) this week. Yeah. Look, everyone in this world, certainly in America right now, you're in one camp or the other. And what is your belief? And I think the three people at this table can safely say, we don't believe anything. There is nothing that is totally, we're slamming the door on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's nothing that can be proven or disproven about this, which is the angle that I would say some cynics, and we make this distinction earlier in the last mm-hmm. episode, is that there is a difference between being skeptical and being cynical. And I love this. I said this before. We should all take a skeptical view and pare away the stuff that just doesn't make sense to us. And it's very personal. It is all very personal. It's super personal. Yeah. And it's all, and, but by the way, this, the quote-unquote skeptical point of view, which often is actually just a debunker point of view, right. is also personal. Yes. The notion that people who like to talk about ghosts or UFOs like to talk about them because of some personality defect right. or just personality aspect. Yeah, exactly. Must also be met with those who believe that the scientific method will ultimately explain every last question that a human being can have. To me, 
that is also a personality type. Right, right. Yeah. And the people who are who find Absolutely. themselves naturally driven in that direction, God bless them because they will be the ones to cure our cancer, <laughs> also feel that they must reflexively sometimes deny everything that is not necessarily obviously within the realm of science to explain right now. But that's rather limited. We'll talk more about skeptics in a second. I have to get another drink. <laughs> okay. <laughs> About eight years ago, when my son was born, I became obsessed with genealogy, and I felt a duty, nay, an obligation, <laughs> to research and develop a family tree for the sake of my newborn son. Did you just use nay in a sentence? It was before we started the show, <laughs> or even had the idea for it. Uh -huh. But Force and I both have always had a passion for digging into the past, exploring mysteries, and learning as much as possible, and I've recently decided to dive back into my family's genealogy. Well, here's the great thing about doing this now. With our Great Courses Plus memberships, you can bone up on the right way to get it done with their course, Discovering Your Roots, an introduction to genealogy by Dr. John Coletta. You know what? I just finished part one, and I wish I'd seen it years ago. Dr. Coletta goes into great detail on all the best methods to interview relatives and take on a role as a family historian. And he does a great job of teaching you how to really go about digging into your family's past. Yeah, he teaches you how to talk to family members that you may know or even ones you might not. Don't be surprised if you gather some inside information that you might never have known existed. Ah, the old surprise Uncle Monty. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you laugh, but there's a lot of people who aren't on the family books, so to speak. That's definitely true. I know it's true in my family anyway. Well, Dr. Coletta not only teaches you how to find that kind of information, he instructs you how to get the most out of family interviews. Years ago, I actually botched a poorly planned attempt at interviewing my great-grandfather, and, and I never followed up. And now that he's passed away... Oh. Yeah, that history's gone forever. Yeah, no, and you never get those chances back. But The Great Courses Plus finds the brightest minds from the top 1% of professors in America and makes them accessible to all of us in their video lecture series with unlimited access to stream and download thousands of videos like ancient history, forensics, strategic thinking, and you can even learn a new language. What's really great is that The Great Courses Plus is giving Astonishing Legends listeners a special offer. An entire month of unlimited access to all of their lectures for free. Start your free month today by signing up with our special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. Remember, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash legends. Hi, I'm Dustin Stevens. Scott and Forrest would like to thank you for listening to tonight's Astonishing Legends and want to encourage Indrid Cold to keep looking for the Mothman. He's still out there. Rich is back. Forrest is All making right, a Forrest drink. Is making a, he'll um, be back in a second. Don't worry. It'll be like he was never gone. <laughs> Outside of the improvement, you'll never notice he's gone. We did ask people to send in some questions. I'm just periodically going to throw a question in for you. Does that sound all right? I'm sound all right, Scott. I'm glad you're actually participating in the broadcast. Oh, well, tonight. you know, you guys were railroading me. There was no point speaking up earlier. So, Well, you got us on a bent here. Um, you're always on a bent. All right. Let's see what we got. Rich Haddam. This one is from Scarlet. This one's pretty simple, but I kind of like it. If you were transformed into a cryptid for a week, which one would you choose and why? <laughs> I feel like I'm on the dating game. <laughs> hey that is there. a dating you game You know what's question. creepy about the dating game? A friend of <laughs> yeah, mine. Yeah, I do. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things, but a friend other, of other mine. Other than the, the serial killers that used to be on. Yes. Well, a very good friend of mine's wife was on it, and she was then stalked by someone who watched it for almost 30 years. 
She, wait, she was stalked for stalked. 30 years? Kept looking her up. And then even after she got married and her name changed, did the detective work to continue to hunt her. He fell in love with her from her one appearance on The Dating Game. Yeah, I would wow. love to say that sounds really weird, except that's pretty much just a guy. <laughs> <laughs> was he a contestant as well on that show? No, he watched it at home. Oh, boy. Yeah. 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 Let me answer Scarlett's yeah, what's, what's, question. Yeah, Scarlett's question. Scarlett, I'm going to go with the obvious answer and say Mothman. Uh, okay. <laughs> Did you put any thought into it? No. Not really. <laughs> um, but here's why. Yeah. Because Mothman can fly. Yeah, that's cool. That's going to come up in our discussion with the recent Chicago flap because there's a very <gasps> good description of the flight. The type of flight. I did hear some weird descriptions of this. Yeah, yeah. Well, on, on another the, uh, podcast, God forbid I mention it, everyone will flee uh, from this. Because <laughs> I know, know you guys only is. listen to one podcast. <laughs> yeah. You don't have room for two. No. <laughs> Not in our schedules, yeah. But I did hear on another podcast some talk of some of these reports. Right, right. Did so, you see this map with all the sightings? Scott is now holding up his computer toward me, showing me a map of Greater Chicago. There looks to be 37 sightings? Yeah, on this map, I believe there are. That's crazy. That's not What's the, the timeline. Well, that's 2011 to present. Oh, there was okay. a recent resurgence in early 2017. One of the first ones, which really freaked me out, and I got this from this great website, singularfortian.com. It's okay. a really cool website by Tobias Wayland and Emily Bartos. Anyway, really cool site. So at one of these sightings it talks about, it could have been the first one of 2017. And this is the one where the guy who doesn't believe in any of this kind of stuff saw something. But that happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's always mentioned like it's this, you know, well, this one is by a non-believer. They're all from non-believers. Right. Okay. Here's the message that is- <laughs> Okay. Not all, but right. I would say- 82%. This is the message that's quoted on Singular Fortean. My husband, John, who's a huge skeptic, as we all know, and doesn't believe in stuff like this, was just driving home in the dark, and he saw what he thought was a person running on two legs across the highway. And then it turned- Isn't that how most people run across the highway? <laughs> well, I'm yes. just saying, I mean, I don't know Not what if they you're saw, a, uh, if they're okay. a person, Dog yes. man, Michigan dog man. Sure. On two legs across the highway, and then it turned into a giant black bird and flew up away. He swears it was running on two legs. Then was the biggest bird he ever saw flying with long legs. Well, then why is she yes. talking about it? That, why isn't he talking was about all wrong. Does it? Why does she have to be his <laughs> spokesman? Why doesn't he come out of the closet and go, I'm a skeptic. I'm a scientist. I saw this. Because he wants it. to keep his job. Thank you. Yeah. All right. And that's something we're going to talk about. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about it. Oh, and by I mean, the way, that's the first sighting. That's in February. There have been a lot more since then. The other person that's been compiling all this information is Lon Strickler, who- has, Lon Strickler. Yeah. yeah he, no, no. He was, he, okay, he's so, the main guy. He's yeah. the linchpin of He's the, the main guy. Yeah. Lon Strickler is the one collecting all the information. And he has a website called Phantoms and Monsters. You hear him all the time on Coast to Coast. Really great stuff. But he's the one compiling the main information about the Chicago Mothman right now. Great. Greg yeah, Bishop does the Radio Misterioso, uh -huh. and, and it's a very entertaining but super inside baseball sort of UFO paranormal. Oh, cool. Right here in LA. Oh, okay, great. He wrote a book called Project Beta, which is about sort of the military's possible and probable, if not certain, involvement in continuing a particular UFO myth okay. among UFO groups. Okay. Anyway. Interesting book. His his podcast is super entertaining, but very inside baseball. But anyway, he spoke to Lon Strickler. Lon Strickler 
spoke about several of these sightings. Mm. Lon is a guy whose belief system is very wide. Yes. And he's been on Coast to Coast a bunch. And Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He is like Keel and Lauren Coleman and all these guys. They take it seriously, and they are out to document. Yes. First and foremost. Right. Get every description down, every sighting, pinpoint it where it happened, when, and really get to the source because it's not so much speculation but really documentation. But at the same time, Lon has had personal firsthand experiences, which then to a skeptical ear makes, the minute he starts talking about anything he experienced personally, that makes him less credible. Right. Which is a little weird, but it's very common when people who investigate this stuff start talking about a lifelong interest, immediately it's like, well, okay, that's all bullshit. You're gullible. You're listening to someone's belief system. Of course, yes. It's very personal. But all this stuff is personal. All this stuff is based on anecdotal evidence. So to deny any form of anecdotal evidence, any form of it, is sort of cutting things off before they start. And to use it as a reason not to give it further study is really smothering it in its crib. Of course. And I will say, we got an email just today, somebody very kindly saying they had a problem with us saying, well, this person had no reason to lie. And I get that. Whenever we say that, people push back on that. (laughs) Well, and and I understand that. But here's the thing. Well, look, we all know that eyewitness testimony is often faulty. Eyewitness testimony, it's not totally documented as fact. But here's the thing. In a court of law, it counts for something. Because when you describe, like, I got hit by a truck. I think it was blue. I think it had a logo on the side. That might be wrong. It may not have had that logo on the side. It may not have been blue. But you know you got hit by a truck. That's my point. So when somebody says, look, this happened to me. And maybe their skin wasn't silvery shiny or it didn't have wings. But it was not an owl. I will say, I believe at least the part where you say it wasn't an owl. And so do you throw away all eyewitness testimony because it's sometimes faulty? Or do you take the main points? Because when you're in a... Scott, you were just a juror. Yeah. That's all of... Almost. Well, almost. (laughs) You you didn't have to do it? I didn't get picked, yeah. Yeah, he he made a crazy scene and they let him go. That's another story. (laughs) The point is that that counts for something because you can't throw it all out. Like you said, anecdotal evidence. So I take it to a personal level. You know, look, your spouse your best friend, a beloved relative says, hey, I don't know what happened, but I saw this weird thing, man, and it was flapping and it was not an owl. It was five feet tall and it glided above the ground about five feet and then shot up into the sky. What do you do with that as this person's spouse, this person's son or daughter, right? as a relative? Do you say right. like, well, that's eyewitness testimony. Yeah, he's probably crazy or drunk or a hillbilly. The point is, it's like, well, I'm not sure what you saw but I believe that you were scared and I believe you saw something that is not natural. I guess you accept it to the degree that you personally can and to the degree that it affects your life. Look, ladies and gentlemen in the listening audience, you can live your whole life and never think about ghosts or UFOs. And if you are never visited by one, you can make it from cradle to grave. And these are questions that are never going to have any sort of actual physical impact on your life. The vast majority of us, even those of us, and I say us, I never have, who see UFOs or who see ghosts, it has nothing to do with their ability to make a living or their personal health, the extension of their life and their eventual death. You can get through your visit to earth without ever 
coming to a conclusion or even thinking about this stuff. Guys like the guys I'm sitting with and myself included think that's a boring way to go through life and like to listen to the <laughs> yeah. people who have these other experiences. Right. Just the way I like to listen to people who skydive or went to China, yeah. things I will never do. But it's interesting to hear about, nothing against the Chinese. <laughs> I just, right. At this age, I don't know, maybe yeah. later in my life I'll want to travel, but right now I'm, I'm, I'm more of a, a home buddy. Anyway, my point is this. <laughs> yeah. All of this stuff boils down to personal Aesthetics, personal belief system. Of course. Even if your belief system is in science will explain everything. So you don't have to bother with any of this. And we should talk about what you were telling me about before the show. This sort of, you know, what Charles Onerton would call the impoverished state of skepticism. Hmm. And why so many skeptical arguments are so weak on the face of it. And I think there's a reason for that. What do you think the reason is? I think by providing a very weak, specious argument, they are furthering their goal of ghettoizing the phenomenon itself. In other words, if I take the time to build a really strong, reasonable, skeptical argument, I'm taking this too seriously. Even by arguing it effectively, I am elevating it to a level I don't want to. Right. So another way of ridiculing it is to not even honor it with a cogent opposing viewpoint. I will make it stupid and thereby doubly confirming that my opinion is this is stupid and not worth anyone's time. Because if I spend a lot of time on it, then other people should spend a lot of time on it, and suddenly we're talking about it, and we shouldn't even be talking about it. Yeah. Well, case in point, we got a couple of uh, skeptical or negative emails, I would class them as that, criticizing our part three conclusion of the Kelly Hopkinsville incident idea. They know who they are. Yeah, and by the way, we did not proclaim a conclusion. No, 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 We no. talked about what we thought with regard to that yes. series. But not we, a theory, just yeah. an idea yeah. of what may have happened, of where this thing falls. So the point I was going to make about the emails, which made valid points, overall, if you don't take their semantics or the grammar police items into view, you take it as why are you even doing this? That's my point. If you are an erudite, academically driven, minded person who is on the skeptical side, who thinks this is all bunkum, why are you even bothering to notify us that this is crazy talk? Why are you even listening? I always find that interesting. People that, this is all BS. It's like, well, then listen to something else. Why are you wasting time on this? Because well, there's something yes. deep down, like you said, it's a personal choice that you may not believe in this stuff. But what is nagging at you? If this is all crazy, why are you spooked in graveyards if you don't believe in ghosts? Why don't you go to <laughs> haunted places because... This is crazy. None of that happens. Well, are there muggers there? Sure, there might be criminal activity, but not spiritual activity because that doesn't exist. Then why are you afraid of it? Why are you bothering taking time out of your, out of your precious day to complain about stuff you don't even believe in? I think it's a reflective knee-jerk behavior, which is, you know, our conversations here might as well be about, you know, how climate change is a hoax. Because somehow it's all against, quote unquote, science. 
But frankly, the best debunkers that ever existed on the face of the earth were the original Society of Psychical Research <laughs> in England in the 1890s. Yeah. They were the ones who set about testing mediums. And they were the ones who person after person after person after person after person said, nope, here's how they did it. They're cheating, they're lying, their results are unconvincing. But one in 500 times when they came across someone who they could not readily debunk, they gave some credit to that person and then they approached them as a scientist would. Mm. And they did actual legitimate controls and they really came up with some interesting results. And sometimes the results were maddening and upsetting and contradictory. Right. Sometimes the results were the kind they got with Eusapia Palladino, who was an Italian medium, who demonstrated in the view of the Society for Psychical Research and the various individuals, you can read about all this stuff, but demonstrated not only actual abilities in the seance room, but also total fraud. She did both. Mm. And they were able to distinguish and she was lying or using trickery, and then when she wasn't. And that makes no sense to people. It's really difficult to understand why would a person who has abilities also fake those abilities? But you see, ladies and gentlemen, I write for television. <laughs> Do you now? So I understand it perfectly. Okay. Anytime you're in an artistic field or a field that cannot be nailed down in terms of numbers or facts, but on any level involves something non-physical, on some level, you feel responsible for that. Now, I can be on a show and write a show and do a great job and be the greatest writer of all time and then go on to another show and be the worst writer of all time. Oh, I and know have, that, yeah. And we've all experienced the comedian who kills one night and completely bombs the next night. And we've all seen films by our favorite directors. Some are great, some are garbage. Now, you have someone who has a sort of non-physical ability to do something that depends on something very non-physical. Suddenly, they get attention. In their mind, they need to continue this to basically prove what they were able to do in the first place. Sometimes it comes and goes. Often, it just goes. Right. What, well, was, what they were able to do early, they cannot do later. And then they fall prey to the very human instinct to start to fake it. This happens. Now, my point is not anytime you're faking, that person's also real. I mean, you know, go on a case-by-case -case basis and make your own judgment. And frankly, I don't care. But it seems a lot more human to me. The Fox sisters, the ones who started the whole spiritualist movement, later in their lives, having no other talent to fall back on and also being addicted to alcohol, for money, admitted that they were faking. And yet their admission did not connect up with the phenomenon they had produced as teenagers at all. In fact, their answers about how they produced the phenomenon were ridiculous and made <laughs> absolutely no sense. And if anyone brought their scientific curiosity to the explanation, they would debunk it even faster than they would debunk the phenomenon in the first place. But they didn't because it was on point for them. Right. And that's the pat explanation. And that's also the thing that we talked about even in the Kelly Hopkinsville case. And it's something that we've encountered before with other cases that we've looked into, specifically with UFOs and people who have experienced something, the experiencers, and how it seems that in some cases, the experiencers, they want people to believe so badly 
that they perpetuate ongoing experiences that didn't necessarily happen because they've gotten into that. The, the door opened and it, it changed their life in a way, good, bad, maybe they're interested in being interviewed and talking about it, or maybe not, or maybe just really, really wanting people to believe them. So in an effort to do that, they start throwing plates up in the air and taking photographs and saying it's UFO. And, you know, but when prior to that, three years earlier, they actually did see a UFO, but then the whole thing falls apart now because you can say, hey, this one was faked. Well, this is totally Scott's argument with Stan Romanek. Yes. And I believe, and I think Rob K does a little, although, you know, I have the text to prove it, that maybe there's some kernel of real experience there. Rob's our UFO expert. He is our resident UFO. Yeah. 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 Oh, what's his name? Rob Christofferson. Okay. So he's not written any books yet, but he's going to. <laughs> no, he thought maybe, you know, some of these things are very compelling. And the photographs he's taken, some people who have analyzed some of the bits Roma, he's... Romanek. Yes, Dan. So when he's come out with something... This it, is a documentary. Have you seen this, Rich? It's on Netflix. Everybody has been talking about it lately. Yeah, I'd love to know your take no, on it. No, what is it? Extraordinary. The Stan Romanek story. At some point, many of our fans that have watched it and recommended it to us, there's a jumping off point. There's a personal level, like you said before, that's extremely personal and about your own belief system that it's like, you know what? I was with you until the guy popped his head, the little grandfather gray alien looked through the screen door, then I'm out. So oh, we right. all we and all have these levels. Horribly cheap costume. <laughs> we don't know that. I but, do know. It well, was horrible cheap costume. Were you there? I saw it on the camera. I know, you it saw was it on a the horrible cheap. This is a thing. Wait, what is it? Well, I don't even know what you're talking <laughs> no, about. No, there's a scene Am in I, this is there's a just... scene in this documentary right. where you see this thing outside the window. In fact, they have it in the background on this promo page behind the title there. And it is the fakest looking thing ever. And okay. th here's the thing. I think Stan saw what could have been a UFO probably. Uh, on the road. I, that, on the that, road. That video. Other that, people the footage, saw it. Yeah. He took footage. Great. A lot of people have seen that stuff. But from that point forward, umpteen billion things happened to him, culminating in him getting busted for like a child pornography server on his computer or something. Like he fell apart. He's talking about the Crips and the Bloods. And I was like, what? It's, exactly. it's a classic narcissistic personality your, disorder, in my opinion. Right. And that's your jumping off Which, point. And by the way, I'm not educated enough to no, pro we, proclaim that. No, we're not psychologists. Yes, but we're here's not. The thing. We are experts on nothing at all, as John Keel. <laughs> <laughs> not an authority on anything. Yeah, which we have cards saying. Just a storyteller. The point being is that it may be something where there's a kernel of truth that got expounded on because of what Rich Haddam just said. There's a psychological and personal need to then keep this thing up. And we all have our levels of where we're going to jump off on that story. But another earlier point that you made as far as uh, spouse, as far as spouses, spouses are concerned. <laughs> this, I want this to be the episode where it's not edited. Just, oh, just oh, all God, the, no, all yeah, the well, screw ups are just, I mean, come on. What you don't know <laughs> is that yet you've been hearing the edited version of Forrest. This man is a passionate man. He's not the clipped, totally professional, uh, erudite speaker that you've come to know. I just would. Yeah, just, there you go. I just wish we had video of Rich's arms movement through his last 20 minutes. That's yeah, I'm basically bending my elbow with the martini glass. The point being is the spouses putting up with crazy crap. Well, Stan's wife is on board with at least believing that something has happened to him that's extraordinary. What's interesting in the documentary is that she says, like, well, no, sometimes he goes off and I correct him. I said, Stan, that didn't happen, as you said. This is actually what happened. And she personally has said that she cannot stand lying or liars and that she will correct Stan, but she does buy into 
his whole thing. So either you're on board or you're gone. Now, again, that's her personal level of belief. It's like, isn't there something spouse, else going on in the There's a lot of things going, going on. on. Well, yeah. there's a lot of decidedly faked footage. There's footage that he admitted faking. He was, after the film was made, busted for child pornography. But, you know, some people will tell you, the conspiratorial types will tell you that, oh, he's being framed by the government. Well, that, that has getting, happened you know, where... Like the government gives a shit. It's kind of, that's <laughs> well, no, what I think. There's whistleblowers that that's happened to because, but as I said- But whistleblowers about a blurry well, object. No, again, what I'm saying is that it's an easy thing to bring charges against somebody about where you don't have to provide any proof. You ransack their house and you just say that. And guess what? At the end of a year, you say like, well, we didn't find anything. Well, it's ruined your life. Let's get back I to the point. And the point was- doing. Oh, really? We're going to get back to there the point? There is a point. Yeah. Well, eventually this will lead to a talk about- Mothman, not just as a flap or a phenomenon, because it really is about everything that we're talking about. Yeah. Honest people on the street who have no dog in this fight, if you want to use that turn of phrase, they just saw something really, really weird, and they're brave enough to come forward and tell somebody about it. Well, there's a tipping point. There is a tipping point for science. What you don't hear about, I mean, you hear about it a little, but in a weird way, I think you hear about it less and less. Correct me if I'm wrong. Hmm. I will do that. The phenomenon, <laughs> you know, it's my favorite, yeah. the near-death experience. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You don't get a ton of pushback. You get some. You get some of your Susan Blackmore and, and the, you know, oh, it's the dying brain, but that's sort of clearly not what's going on. It is a totally subjective phenomenon. Yeah. It's like dreaming. Yeah. It's totally subjective, totally anecdotal. There is no physical, but at a certain tipping point, it becomes a part of the human experience. And I think even people who consider themselves skeptical or hard scientists believe, well, it's a phenomenon of some sort. They're not all lying. Something's happening but it's being misinterpreted. Right. And so we're steps along a path of coming to grips with something that we don't understand, that there is no and most likely will never be any hard evidence for. There will never be the kind of evidence that science requires. Unless we get to a point where you can clinically kill someone and safely bring them back <laughs> and test what their experiences are, and guess what? It's still going to be anecdotal. Well, I've tried. It, well, okay, I was hoping you I wouldn't probably should that, have said but. that. <laughs> but your point is that, or my point to your point, is that I said this last time, I actually, I think in this last series, is that with the amazing... James Randi, who I do, I do believe, I love that guy. I really, do. I love his magic. Some of his practices were debatable as far as like outing people, because even the people who participated, who outed the scientists, quote unquote, McDonald, the aerospace yes. uh, magnate, was taken up in this whole thing about the institute that studied this phenomenon, ESP. Even the guys who participated, that James Randi got to participate as subjects, fake who could do a little bit of magic, a sleight of hand, who could fake this stuff, they felt bad about it. It's like, uh, yeah, I, I know his point. I know what he was trying to do. It's just not the right way to go about it because I felt like a fraud. These people were honestly trying to find out the cause and the root and the source of this phenomenon. And here you have somebody going in and just throwing a wrench in the works. Now, to that point, it's like the personal aspect I always look at because as because I said, people. As, well, as I said before, it's like what James Randi wants, what the million dollar prize is about. 
And I didn't know you had to put up a million dollars for yourself in case you lost. I, because <laughs> I would have, yeah, yeah, I would have got somebody. But look, I don't have a million dollars. Suddenly, you owe James Randy a million dollars. Yeah, what he's looking for, and I do remember now. I did say this is that they're looking for maybe ninety to one hundred percent accuracy all the time. Well, you're just not going to get that. But what I do look to as well as eyewitness testimonies, I look for the personal aspect of it, which is unquantifiable. You can't measure that, but it's context. The uh, Dr. Michael Shermer, he came out with a, an article in his own journal, I believe, online, saying he had a somewhat paranormal experience. That right. Which was very touching, very emotional, had to do with his own wedding, which I believe involved his wife uh, yep. or wife-to-be, yep. her father or grand... Uh, I think it was a grandfather. Grandfather who passed away. On the you read that article. radio. Yeah, on the radio. Sure. Ladies and gentlemen, what happened is that there was an old radio that her grandfather loved. He passed away before he could be at the wedding, but there's this one song he loved, and I believe he played it for his granddaughter on his favorite radio. Well, that radio was stored in a box or on a shelf, hadn't been operating in years, dusty, no, you know, I'm not sure if there was any batteries in it. But the day of her wedding, while they're getting ready in the one side of the room and he's on the other the groom's side is on the other, the radio comes on and plays his favorite song that he shared with his granddaughter. And the point is, is that when that happens and there's no explanation for a, a radio that hasn't played in 20 years or 15 years and it comes on, you can look at it and say, well, it's, you know, old, dusty, rusty connections and it just kind of came on and suddenly it was playing this song on the radio. In other words, coincidence. Exactly. Or total lie. Maybe Michael Shermer was a drunk. <laughs> Look, I only say that as a joke. <laughs> I, know, I actually I, know. I totally I respect that guy yeah. for doing that because literally he is risking his entire reputation. Exactly. To say something like that. Yeah. To say something like yeah. that. And Why I, write I, an I article actually, like that? I freaking respect that. I respect it when the person who is firmly entrenched on side A concedes that part of their experience can be side B because yeah. that is not accepted. Literally people, their entire careers in science have been destroyed by simply saying they're interested in the UFO phenomenon. You know, I used to be in pretty good shape. Ah, really? I get, what happened? Thanks. Thanks Thanks a lot for that. Yeah, you're welcome. We all know the story. Work or the home life where the kids gets crazy for a while. And maybe you were doing some kind of fitness regime, but you pushed that aside to get other stuff done. And then you just never went back to it. That time in the week that you used to devote to exercising got filled up by life's chores. And maybe you've been meaning to get back in shape, but you don't know how to go about it. And you don't want to spend hundreds for a personal trainer at a gym because you'll probably end up quitting that too. Exactly. For myself, I just need that little push, you know, that extra kick in the butt to get me back into a regular workout schedule. I think a lot of people are in that situation. You need some kind of easy-to-follow program that's fun and effective, which is why we're excited to tell you about a new sponsor that we got that's going to solve that problem for all of us. Beachbody On Demand. You know, a lot of people may already be familiar with the name Beachbody. They're that same company behind those really popular workout programs like Pyo, P90X, Insanity, and the three-week yoga retreat. Well, Beachbody On Demand is the total package. It's an online fitness streaming service that gives you unlimited access to personalized world-class workouts. Whether you're just trying to drop a few pounds or you want to get ripped and buff like Scott here, it's an all-in-one solution that's proven to help you achieve your health and fitness goals. 
I'm, I'm searching their website right now for dad bod eliminator. I can't <laughs> seem to find that one. I mean, seriously, mm. I'm excited to get started with these guys. Beachbody On Demand really does have everything you need to get in shape, from step-by-step program guides and workout calendars to comprehensive nutrition plans. And now they even have an innovative portion control-focused cooking show called Fixate. And I love that you can take your workouts anywhere you go, whether you want to work out at home or in your hotel room while you're on vacation. These programs are streamable on your laptop, smartphone, or web-enabled TV. Whether it's cardio, weight training, low impact, yoga, or even dance, you have the flexibility to custom design your workout schedule from over 600 different workouts. And it's a brand new service, but it already has a million members. And now you can see for yourself with a free trial membership because Astonishing Legends listeners can just text the word LEGENDS to the number 303030. That's right. To get your free trial membership, just text the word LEGENDS. That's L-E-G-E-N-D-S to the number 303030 to get full access to the entire platform for free. Hello, everyone. I'm Kate Trammell, and this is Astonishing Legends. Let's get back to the show. We're going off the rails. We're going off the rails. Okay, so Scott just walked out. For those of you wondering what this is really like, we are in a room and if you know where like it's the valley. Studio City is in Los Angeles, America, <laughs> we're in a back house on a street in a suburb. Let's not get too specific, but yes. He just walked into his house. Forrest and I are still in the back house. It's all white. It's like an insane asylum. Well, there's some padding. Yes, I'll agree to that. I like to think of it as the Winchester house of the valley. There are weird staircases, yes. Yeah. Balconies <laughs> upon which no human being could stand up straight. Seriously, am I right? It's meant to be for storage, I believe, yes. This thing is a haunted house. Hey, oh, you know no, what? There's right. a bathroom. That's something. Oh, thank God. You'll thank us later after the Tito's and the pizza kicks in. I hope they don't cut this out. This is gold. This is not gold. Why do you God writers think God. everything that comes out of your mouth is gold? Well, because it is. I mean, Rich is a dear friend. We've known each other technically for 30 years, but never spoke. And realistically, for five months. Yeah, really. (laughs) And I've only really liked him for one of those five. But the point is, we're going to be getting into... Really? You're back already? What did you guys talk about while I was gone? Scott's wife wants no part of this, by the way. No, that's the part, yes. Unlike Stan Romanek's wife. There's a no girls allowed sign hung out there. And it's like, oh, go with your friends and talk about your things. (laughs) Well, one, he was kind of uh, wondrous about this space and why we're uh, here. Because it's a beautiful home. No, he he really wasn't saying that. I was complimenting this room. Well, let's go with that. So uh, we kind of held off. We didn't realize you'd be back so soon. Eventually, though, we are going to talk about, Rich has a special knowledge that uh, Scott or I, neither of us have, really, is that as a writer of these kind of paranormal subjects, if you will. But really, we should probably wind this around what we've been talking about to the Mothman Chicago flap at some point. (laughs) Yeah, well, we do have some people that do have some more questions for you as well. Here's one I, I wanted to ask you. This is from Zach S. Outside of another Mothman movie... What is another paranormal event, if there's a famous one, that you would like to work on or develop into something? Well, besides the uh, topics I've pitched to you guys that have been thrown in the garbage. Um, Like what? (laughs) Rockford Files? The Rockford Files remake. I'm on board with that one. It's not paranormal, though. The Mothman thing was great because it was so broad and all-encompassing. And even then, it only worked out to be one feature film. Like, I don't think... No Mothman 2? 
I was wondering about that. Look, I mean, if they want to make that, that's cool. And if it goes into some weird, totally fictional direction. How like, would it not? Totally. They're well, so psycho. Yeah, because so it was such a big oriented. hit. Yeah. You know, they don't want to leave any money on the table. <laughs> right. You, I mean, now technically you could go back and do John Keel's book. I mean, now on cable, if you wanted to, on a particular budget, you could theoretically just go back and do the book and just go, you know what? This is the era of men in black and all kinds of weird phenomenon. And you could really just do that. And you could dive deep for the fan. Like, I kind of feel like if it was going to be done, it would have already been done or it would be being done. Yeah. So you could, other than that, as a TV show or a movie, I don't know. Obviously what's interesting to me is the human experience behind it. And I've I've pitched a couple things to you, or we've talked about because we, I'm a noted filmmaker. Well, no, I'm talking about this. <laughs> boy, I tell you, you give this guy a beer, he gets mean. Oh, uh, he's mean before. Geez, you yeah. put up with this all the time. Yeah. This is crazy. Like Stan Romanek's wife. Yes, I yeah, just let him yeah. go off. Wow. So there are some very interesting, little known areas of Fortiana. That are worth a, uh, an episode, I think. I, I've pitched a couple. I don't know. But oh, I no, know. we like you those. Guys, We're going to do those. tell me. We're going to do those. I'm, I'm You braying. went out and got a day job, so. Well, know. I know, but I can still come here and get drunk and talk. <laughs> um, I've talked about the ghost of Flight 401, which yes. is interesting for a specific reason. Um, because it's so modern. Yeah. And so ancient. And we've talked about the hungry ghosts, but, yes. I, but that's a very dark story. But there's a lot of stuff like that. There's the story of George Meek. And the Spiricom, which may or may not have been thoroughly and effectively debunked by a guy whose name I believe is Alexander McRae, but that is a fascinating story regardless. So there's all kinds of like individual weird little pockets of Fortiana that are close to my heart. Right. But this is always the question. Of course, every studio or network will ask you, it's like, well, how is this going to be a movie or series? Or franchise. Yeah, but how? Because by the way, Mothman prophecies could not get made today. Oh, I don't honestly don't believe. I mean, it barely rich because you cannot answer the part. When does he fight the monster? It doesn't point to. I mean, well, the film industry is very different now, and it's there's no way to take a chance on something like that that isn't pure horror. You you can do the Conjuring or you know which are great, but to do something like that, those movies don't get made for feature release. at this point, they get made in other ways. Renee A. asks, any thoughts or experiences with Hollywood's esoteric dark side? Example, Satanism in the music business, hidden symbolism in the movies, or the extreme lengths that actors go to become famous? That's really interesting. That is a giant topic. That's a really good question, Renee A. Books have been written. There's a large history. And in Los Angeles specifically, there is a history of esoteric beliefs. Well, we always talk about Crowley and the connection to JPL and all that no, stuff. Uh, Terry oh, Mowry Parsons and, and, and too. L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah. I mean, they're all up and down Orange Grove Boulevard. This is all very human. We're talking about human beings. Right. That's what this podcast is all about. It's well, not I don't know about that. a human experience. Yeah. Okay? So, yeah, when you have a city that is based on and built on literally dreams— People started coming here for gold. 
Okay. I mean, there's no way you couldn't invent a better metaphor. Podcast gold. There's so 1849, someone had yeah. a dream that we'd be in this. We're podcast copper at this point, but go this ahead. Our room. Anyway, what, very, what is wrong with this room? Would you there's look at this wrong. balcony up here? I, I'm, there is not a nine-year-old child who doesn't have to squat in this gallery. I don't know what that's about. You can stay up there and sleep and stuff. If a couple comes and has a kid, the kid can <laughs> stay in the room. They're critiquing how, how much, Mike and Fortiana. Are these people you dislike? No. Stairways that lead no. Nowhere, hallways that diminish into there's you know, no hallway like a, 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 it's a two-car garage there's a toilet you. and a shower a, and a sink what a, more do you want a leprechaun would complain he hasn't so far <laughs> good night anyway <laughs> all right so Back in the, here we are in this bizarre room as you said yeah um i, I can't remember what you were saying before i do derailed mm. you there is a real connection as People know who who follow the Manson story. He wormed his way into a lot of actually the music industry. Brian Wilson, yep, and some producers here and there. There is an element that is kind of sketchy. And as you said, yeah, guys, look if there's robes and naked women without robes, they'll participate for a while. They'll get the uh, the membership card, and they will go to the parties. So. Have you come across any incidents? Yeah, you're of, on the inside. Of, of Have you? Is it you ever anything well, weird? Is ever? there any weirdness that you've sensed, heard about, got an inkling of? Two things come to mind immediately. I had a good friend, a man by the name of Scott Nimmerfro. He was a writer, TV writer. He has since passed away. I think that his last credit was on Hannibal, mm -hmm. but he worked with me on The Gates. Mm. A really delightful, curmudgeonly guy. So his email address is. Mr. Neverglad. Huh. And it was so funny because I'm like, that sort of describes your personality. And then one day I'm like, where did you get that? Mr. Neverglad at whatever.com. And he's like, because that's my name. What are we what? talking about? He's like, my name is Nimmerfro. In German, that means never glad. Oh. Nimmerfro. Oh. And I'm like, oh my God, that is perfect. So Scott Nimmerfro, who had a very interesting career in Hollywood, started out working uh, with uh, Richard Donner. Oh, yeah, yeah. And worked for the Donner, uh, Lauren Schuler Donner. Lauren Schuler Donner. Yeah, Schuller. for a long time. Donner. And then worked as a stage manager at the Comedy Store, which is a building which with a rich history here and, on and Sunset Boulevard. And ghosts. Isn't it haunted? And, and it's ghosts. supposed to be haunted, Well, right? according to him, it was. And the story he tells is being the last guy there. And in theaters, that's sort of the guy you don't want to be. Because when everything is quiet in a theater, you can hear things. And acoustically, they can be strange places and sounds can be transported in odd ways. But these weren't just sounds. These were full-throated screams. Oh, okay. In an empty building at 2.30 in the morning, and he was the only person there. This wasn't, oh, I heard footsteps. Maybe it was somebody. No, full-throated screams. And this was not a guy who necessarily was into what we're talking about, but this is a story he would tell all the time. So we, we talked a little bit about that. Scott told that story. Then two years ago, he went to the doctor and he was having stomach pains and his spleen burst. So he went and had his spleen taken out. How weird, my spleen burst. It's like an appendix. And then a few months later, he was calling his doctor to find out what happened. And uh, they were like, oh, you're returning the call from Dr. So-and-so. And he's like, no, I was just calling to get test results. And they're like, oh, you didn't get the call? Uh, hang on. 
And then he finds out, oh, you're a very sick man. <laughs> and was basically told the spleen was a symptom of a larger problem. And he lived for one more year and passed away about a year ago. Oh my gosh. So whatever the truth of the matter is, Scott is now part of it and knows it. But anyway, Scott was a great guy. That's one story I heard. When I was doing the show Miracles, which was my first show on television, there was one episode and people always want to know, hey, on your paranormal show, did anything paranormal happen? Mm, I think we got that question. On, on one of the- Yeah, yeah. it came in today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was just one moment. And again, I was not there when this happened, but our actor Skeet Ulrich in one episode. Oh, I like him. Yeah. He's great. And a great actor. Yeah, like yeah. Well, yeah, really, yeah. this guy should be starring, you know. He's got the chops. Yeah. Anyway, there was one episode about a sort of a haunted cabin. And in one scene, he's in the basement with a flashlight. And the scene is about him looking at a wall and there's fresh blood sort of coming out of this brick wall in a basement. And the flashlight that he had would not work. It kept going out. It kept going out. Batteries were changed. The flashlight itself was changed. And it kept malfunctioning, which is not that weird a thing. But for some reason, out of all the scenes in all the episodes yeah. we did, all 13 of them, ladies and yeah. gentlemen, he said, this was really weird. Like, this made no sense and got to the point where suddenly people were a little bit freaked out. No, like, it, there was it, no reason for this not to be working. I had a good friend of mine who was a prop master on, on a lot of major motion pictures. You have backup upon backup upon backup yeah. of hand props, everything that's going to be key in a scene, flashlights of every era and size and shape and batteries to fit all of them. And you just keep replacing them. So that's really weird. It's like, well, yeah. oh, this one went out. Let's go to 7-Eleven. Like, no, no, you have in your kit. Well, to take a moment to talk about Hollywood, just so you guys know, and if you ever dealt with a, an actual production, I'm going to go on record to say these are ridiculously professional organizations yeah. Yeah. and people who take real pride in their work and money depends on every, like literally you lose a few minutes, you're losing money. So these oh, are yeah. people who are very aware that things cannot go wrong. That's their fault because they'll be fired. Their livelihood depends on it. And that's so what ensures a, the best of the best. Yeah, exactly. This really isn't a bunch of drunks like tonight, <laughs> what? goofing around and, oh, hey, we're all famous. Let's make a show. These are people who take their jobs very seriously. And the number of times that things go wrong on the set of a TV show based on department heads yeah. below the line, right. rarely. Oh, yeah. Usually it's a showrunner coming in going, I don't like this. I want to rewrite the scene right now. <laughs> yeah. And they can do whatever they want. Right. But this is not a common occurrence. Anyway. Yeah, weird things happen all the time, and there are people in Hollywood who have all kinds of weird belief systems. I mean, that's an episode in and of itself. Yeah. All right, so let me ask you this. Another question from a listener. This is from Anthony F., who uh, sent us um, a couple of questions, but there's one that I'd like to ask you about. This is the Travis Walton story. Did you see Fire in the Sky? Are you familiar oh, with it? Oh, I sure did. What are your thoughts about that case and the film and the book and all that? And and I will tell one quick story about the Fire in the Sky. The executive producer of that movie was the executive producer of the one movie I worked on when I was in college. That was a horrible movie, but I worked on it. And I got the crew list and when I moved to California from North Carolina to try to get a job in Hollywood, I called everyone on the crew list. And I called Smart. the executive producer at his home and asked him for a job. His name was uh, Wolfgang Gladys. I don't know if he's still working. And he was, I believe, German. And so I said, <laughs> I said to him, I said, I, you know, I worked with you on House of Cards, and it's not the Netflix show. This is a movie came out a long time ago with Tommy Lee Jones and 
Kathleen Turner, right before Tommy Lee hit it big with The Fugitive. So he was still kind of doing movies like The Park is Mine and that kind of thing. And I called Wolfgang at home. I told him I needed a job. And he said, how did you get this number? <laughs> and then he hung up. And I think he told me never to call him again. I, I did, say that to Scott all the time. Uh, by the way, I will say that I did, in fact, get a job from calling all those people on that crew list that led to like an almost 20-year career editing commercials. But Wolfgang was the wrong guy to call. Anyway, he was the executive producer, <laughs> yeah. I believe, on Fire in the Sky. I thought that movie was really cool. Yeah. I enjoyed it. James Garner was in it, so, you know. Right uh, yeah. Oh, it all comes back to the um, yeah, Rockford Files. Richard Haddam is a big Rockford Files fan for Huge. everybody. Yeah. If anyone yeah, in the he listening won't, audience. He won't reboot it. As much as we ask, he won't reboot it. Yeah, right, because I'm in control of that forest. <laughs> yeah. How many times <laughs> must I tell you and tell you? You don't want to reboot the show you love. You don't want to be the one who ruins it. Let's not get into this now. I, I have a great pitch for Rich. He won't consider it. Anyway, your point being. What was the point? Fire in the Sky. Fire in the yes, Sky. Yes, I, well, I had to make sure. Frankly, I like Communion as a movie also. Yeah. What do you here's think about the story the and the well, actual case and Travis's story? In the 80s, when the movie came out and when I was reading Communion, I got an idea. I was not the first one to have this idea. My idea was take the abductees, take anyone who has ever said that they are experiencing multiple abductions, and put a video camera in their house and videotape them. And just have the video camera running all the time. Now, this was 35 years ago when the world was young and these ideas were possibly original. That idea has been done. Yeah. Because the question of the Travis Walton case and the question to a lesser degree, I think, of the Whitley Strieber case is, are they physically missing from our reality? Yeah. Did Ann Strieber Or is it ever, happening in their head? Or is it some weird mixture of somewhere in between? Was right. Orfeo gone from a work at week? A week, week at work. <laughs> Have another for us? He just Thank you, I will. A fresh one. <laughs> <laughs> is, no, is there a stand-in? Exactly. And how much can they do? Can they do your laundry? Well, with, like the last you know? Starfighter. He had a stand-in. Yes. Yeah. I remember? I will say this. Now, there's a great book called Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind by C.D.B. Bryan. In that book, I believe, there is a moment. It's the moment I've been looking for in all abductee literature, and it doesn't get talked about, about somebody with someone else who's having an abduction encounter. Yeah. They're sitting in the car. The person passes out, wakes up, and says, it happened again. Ooh. And the person in the car goes, awesome, I was here the whole time you were sitting behind the wheel. <laughs> right. So for that one case, and it feels like there should be more, another person is there to say, no, you were here the whole time, I know I was awake. Now, it gets weird because many abductees say I was gone and a lot was going on, but my wife was in bed next to me and she slept the whole night. Oh, that's usual, yeah. Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind, buy it, read it, enjoy it. I'm buying it mm. right now. I've just put it on the um, Kindle. Poof. And again, there's a long section about the Linda Moulton Howe mm. Manhattan abduction. Mm. Mm -hmm. I've got a lot to say about that too. Because but this I, all comes, to, it's like the climax of contact. What she experienced and what everyone saw the person experience. Right. That's the real question. And then- when it comes to the scientific community and the skeptical community and the cynical community as well, when they look at that and say, well, from here, I saw you, you went to sleep in the driver's seat, 
all you did was go to sleep and everything is in your head, then the question is, well, is this actually happening or is something else going on that's beyond our comprehension? But here's the weird part, how rare those outside confirmations are. Oh, yeah. And they should be more frequent. Right. In mm. other words, there's enough people in the world and it takes nothing to say, no, I was there. You were on the couch. And yet those are vanishingly rare. So then the question becomes, this is going to sound stupid, as well it should, do they know that? Do the aliens know it? Or are they actually doing something to affect the other people to keep them asleep while they contact you and create an experience for you? If the feeling, if the dream, the hallucination, the psychological malady of believing that you are being abducted by aliens is a psychological problem, if it's like schizophrenia, if it's like any other psychological diagnosable illness, shouldn't it be distributed equally among the population? And yet you don't have a ton of people in major urban areas saying, I was in the Holland Tunnel, I was on the 405 freeway, I was in the middle of downtown Miami, and these things happen. They do, but not as often as they happen in other places. What? Because he's forced no, to point bring, at me accusingly up, like uh, somebody you know intimately, my wife, where that's happened to. The person we always talk where about with the missing time. They were with somebody. Who yeah, you but you gotta have them on. But but but, Rich, don't you? That's exactly kind of somewhat, maybe vaguely, what you're talking about. Yes, and think about this, listening audience. Think about this for a second. Think about all the stories we haven't heard because of the experiencer's personal philosophy Absolutely. and beliefs. Yeah. You're only hearing from a portion of people who are willing to go public with something that will not get them fame, will not get them money. I'm looking at these guys in front of me. <laughs> well, we have there, neither no, of those things, sure. They ain't sitting on a, on a gold mine. <laughs> this is no. not some weird greased rail to sex and fame and money. It just isn't. Yeah. Infamy without the other two. Yes, I will agree to that. <laughs> So these are just the people you hear about. Now, what about all the people who experience something and go, no. I have a really good friend, another TV writer. She is wonderful. I love her to death. She is about as atheist as they come, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. We're probably not. She's probably more a committed, there is nothing going on than I am a committed, there is something going on. I yeah. think there might be, but I haven't experienced it, so I don't know. Sure. However... We were having dinner one night. We had a couple of drinks. And I said to her, what if you saw a ghost? Like, what if you did experience something? Yeah. What if you saw a ghost? And God bless her. She said, I think I would probably explain to myself that what I saw was not a ghost. Of course. Which was the most honest answer. Yeah. She didn't say, well, that wouldn't be possible because there are no ghosts and blah, blah, right. blah. In that moment, she said, and I don't even know if she knew she was acknowledging, but in a way she was saying, my belief system would filter the experience. That's exactly what she was saying. Yeah. Which is what the debunker side implies about the other side, which is you are so predisposed to want to believe that any sound in your house is a ghost. Any light in the sky is a UFO. Yeah. And you immediately use that to explain anything you experience to back up a belief you already have, which we actually know is not the case for many people who experience a lot of phenomenon 
mostly, say it with me now, the near-death experience. experience. Mm. There are tons of people who are totally agnostic, atheistic, or just simply do not subscribe to any religious belief whatsoever who are like, that's why it's so upsetting that when I had my near-death experience, it felt so much like what people talk about in church because I don't believe that stuff. Once again, have you noticed that a big brand name manufacturer is freaking out and trying to play catch up to an internet retailer with a great product? Are you talking about someone trying to compete with Casper mattresses? <laughs> Indeed I am. And one of the big retailers is trying to push their version and comparing themselves to Casper. But what that says to me is that Casper has become the benchmark for supportive memory foam mattresses and people are quickly catching on. Well, Casper ain't trying to copy anyone else because their in-house team of engineers have spent thousands of hours developing a supportive sleep surface that's got just the right amount of sink and just the right amount of bounce. And what that means is that your body sinks down just enough to give you a little of that cradling, cushy feel that you get with memory foam, but then firms up gradually so you still get support. Uh, right, because what your spine and your musculature wants during sleep is alignment and relaxation, which you won't get if the mattress is too soft or too hard. Right, so you make fun of me for saying nay, but you get to say musculature. <laughs> I did, and I do. Yes. <laughs> My personal point is... I'm sleeping better, sleeping sounder throughout the night. I wake up refreshed instead of with kinks and stiffness, and the breathable design keeps me cooler by regulating my body temperature. You know what's great? You can test out a Casper mattress for 100 nights in your own home with free delivery and free returns in the U.S. and Canada. If you don't love it, They'll pick it up and refund you everything. It's completely risk-free. Well, I'm glad you can test it out in your own home because I got yelled at for sleeping in a competitor's showroom once. <laughs> Look, a mattress is an item you'll use every night, so you want to get this right. But you can easily see for yourself by going to our special URL, casper.com slash AL right now. And if you use our promo code AL at checkout, you can get $50 off the purchase of any Casper mattress. Terms and conditions apply, of course. Casper also makes adaptive pillows and soft, breathable sheets, but this offer is only good towards the purchase of a mattress, which is a really good deal. So go to casper.com slash AL to get $50 off and find out how you should have been sleeping all these years. One more time, go to casper.com, that's C-A-S-P-E-R dot com slash AL, and then use the promo code AL at checkout to get $50 off. So this is pretty amazing. There's this new podcast out called Mission to Zix, and it's actually- Wait, wait, wait a second. Zix? Zix, yeah. How do you spell that? Z-Y-X-X, just like it sounds. It's easy to remember. All right. Anyway, this new podcast is the first one of its kind in that you actually get to hear real conversations from the crew of a ship on a deep space mission. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, somehow I don't think that that's We possible. were lucky enough to set up an interview with the head of the mission, Ambassador Plek Dexen. <laughs> well, that's quite a get. All right, let's hear it then. Hello, Ambassador Dexeter, are you there? Hmm, I'm afraid Ambassador Dexeter is currently asleep. There may have been a bit of a time difference, considering we, I believe, are three million light years apart. We may have dropped a zero at some point. Oh, I see. But I am Protocol and Diplomatic Relations Droid C-53, and perhaps I may be able to answer your questions. Okay, that'd be great. Well, what what exactly is the mission to Zix? Uh, well, we are a diplomatic envoy from the Federated Alliance, the current rulers of our section of the galaxy. We are reaching out to new life forms, new... Oh, I am afraid I have an incoming transmission from my superior officer, junior missions operations manager, Nermit Bundeloy. Hey, C-53, 
Uh, I know I'm early for the interview, or... Uh, you are currently in the interview. Oh, my goodness. This is Scott from Astonishing Legends. How are oh, you? Oh, wow. Great. You know, I'm very excited. We are exploring Zix, the most exciting quadrant of the Tremelian sector. Host Scott, I must point out that the Zix quadrant is rarely referred to as exciting. It's frequently referred to as dingy, violent, oh. disagreeable. I would say it's on the up and up. No. Whoever told you that has been misinformed. <sighs> So it sounds like a very exciting mission. How are how are things going so far for you guys? Not well. <laughs> uh, C-53, technically, are you an artificial intelligence? That is correct, yes. I see, and does it make sense for you to have uh, just regular old human beings in charge of you? Hmm. An interesting question, host Scott. One that I am forbidden from answering, thanks to the installation of a Federated Alliance restraining bolt. Ah, yes. Well, maybe someday you can get that removed and we can get a real down-to-earth interview with you. (laughs) Perhaps one day, Scott. Great. Is there um, this very expensive call for us, so I didn't know if there was anything else you wanted to add before we we sign off. Thank you so much, and I'm sorry that the Alliance refused to cover those costs. They are uh, having some budget issues. That's okay. It has been a pleasure communicating with you, host Scott. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Be careful out there. Are you sure you're actually talking to... Listen and subscribe now to the first season of Mission to Zix, the podcast created by veteran comedians from the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater with special guests from Saturday Night Live, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Search Party, and other great comedies. Ah, so it's an improv sci-fi comedy show. All right, well, that's very cool. Mission to Zix is on Apple Podcasts and every place else you can find podcasts. That's Zix, Z-Y-X-X. I'm Christian Wallace, and when I'm not acting or making films, I'm listening to Astonishing Legends. Let's get back to the show. I have mentioned this before. Podcasts long ago, even before you were born or existed, but I love the phraseology here in that we're going off the rails here, folks. You know that. Please go along (laughs) with us. No, I mentioned this before, and we were talking about Charles Fort and the Fortian experience. I, of course, pulled this off the Wikipedia page. And it's not from him, but it's about the writer Colin Wilson, who writes about... Oh, you know him? Oh, totally. Big fan. Would you have lunch? No, I don't. I didn't know him personally, but he's a great writer. Yeah. Really entertaining Exactly. Read Colin Wilson, you'll have a great time. Well, then you'll love this, because his review of Charles Fort and the summation of his writing, and I think this is apropos to the breadth of what you were just talking about. Again, this is the writer Colin Wilson's summation of Fort's take on people who believe and people who do not believe or cannot believe. It kind of goes like this. People with a psychological need to believe in marvels are no more prejudiced and gullible than people with a psychological need not to believe in marvels. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I totally They're, know what you're saying. No, on both sides. It's like the people who are so like, that's not happening. That's not real. I don't believe this are no more gullible than people who think maybe this could happen. Skepticism 101. Here's what they hit you with first. Mm. Human beings are pattern-making animals, don't you see? And they're always trying to look for patterns where there aren't any. But you often notice that they'll start making spurious patterns that don't really make sense in any sort of reality. And yeah, we get that. What no skeptics seem to realize is that's more of an opposite argument. Mostly, people edit out. The brain is a filter. 
And there's that famous video that they show people where it's like, okay, follow the basketball. Three people have a basketball. They're going to be passing it back and forth. Just follow the basketball. And so you watch this one minute video and you're watching the basketball and you watch it for a minute. And then at the end of the video, the testor says, did you notice anything strange? No, not at all. Watch it again and look for the gorilla. And then you watch it again and you see someone run out in a gorilla costume behind the three people and they're waving and they run off. Now, skeptics use this to prove that people are bad witnesses. The point it really proves is that the brain edits out material that doesn't make sense and doesn't fit. Right. And is there a better description for UFOs, ghosts, Bigfoot, or Fortean phenomenon, the damned, as Charles Fort would call it, other than material that doesn't fit? It doesn't fit. I argue the exact opposite, that human beings are far more likely to experience something strange and then their brain cuts it out and they instinctually deny it because that has nothing to do with their everyday reality. And it's the total opposite of the belief that people are actively looking for weird stuff. Oh my God, look, there's fairies, there's UFOs, there's Bigfoot. That tends not to be the case. Exactly. Now, here's my point earlier that I made, tying this all together in a callback is that when you ask them, like, what was your experience at 5 p.m. this evening during the experiment? What did you see? Well, I saw a guy bouncing a basketball. So the people who would say, I witnessed testimony, they should be all thrown out. It's unreliable. Like, well, at least he may have not gotten the gorilla part right, but he did see the guy playing the basketball. So when you look at Kelly Hopkinsville, it's like, what happened to you at 10 p.m. that Sunday night in August 1955? Well, There was a silvery ship. Some weird creatures appeared at the window, and I think they were silvery. Maybe they had bat ears. They seemed to float, but they were very much goblin-like. It's like, okay, take that whole statement together. Do we have to throw all of that out, or can we agree that something weird showed up at the window? Maybe they weren't silvery. Maybe the ship wasn't exhausting rainbow-colored sparkles, but we can all agree that they were very much scared of something that was not natural. Right. And by the way, we've all been drunk. We all have friends who have been drunk. Oh, I know that. Many of us have been to college. Many of us have been to bars. Is it really common for drunk people to see aliens? No, it's not. (laughs) Have you ever been drunk and seen an alien? Frankly, have you ever been drunk and hallucinated on any level? No. Then why is that used as an excuse? And they have the old hag syndrome. Sleep paralysis is something that has been experienced and looked at through science and to a particular degree codified. There's a chemical that floods your system when you go to sleep that basically anesthetizes, it sort of paralyzes you in a way. It's so that when you dream about running, you don't start running actually with your body and wake yourself up. So a hormone runs through your bloodstream and allows you to actually sleep no matter what you're dreaming or what stimuli you might be experiencing. Then when you wake up very quickly, another hormone floods your system and allows you to wake up. And it happens very quickly. If anything throws that off, people have had the experience of waking up, feeling physically paralyzed, and then they experience a typically pretty common hallucination. Someone's in the room, they feel fear, sometimes it's a monster, but often it's an old woman, the old hag. 
the old hag is pressing down on my chest because I can't move and I'm having trouble breathing. And these are very, 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 very common reported symptoms. And then after a minute or two of a very scary feeling, the hormone kicks in, your body moves, and the hallucination ends. And this has been described. When people had trouble sleeping in the mid-1800s, sometimes in England, people would go, you look like you didn't get any sleep. You look Hagrid, like you've been ridden by the hag. Mm. Hagrid is a character in the Harry Potter novels. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I mean, the word has a history. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So all of this goes back and we're beginning to figure things out. Now, if there is a, a disease or a psychological syndrome that involves lights in the sky and small gray guys, I want to know about it. I want to know what that is. But guess what? We're never going to find out what it is because guess what? It's all bullshit. And anyone who has the ability to study this stuff won't study it. Or if they do, they'll be mocked by their peers. So they can't. Well, that's what we said about the psychological paper. Regular mainstream psychologist is going to go back and check these references. None, because it's not in their interest. There's no point to it. And I understand that, and I agree with it. I get that they're not going to take the time to go, like, check the 1955 Kelly Hopkinsville experience, because why do that? These guys obviously did. Let's go with that. And to your point about the old hag and these other experiences, it only goes so far. We've talked about this in the Shadow People episode about the old hag experience and sleep paralysis and also with infrasound. And it only goes so far. We haven't talked about this ad nauseum, but I will now. And the fact that the scientific aspect of it or the the stimulation of the temporal parietal junction with a certain amount of low amperage electrical stimulation produces an effect, but it's not like what people describe because, again, it's unquantifiable, but there is a social, personal, deeply emotional connection to that in that, yes, I can produce in you right now with the right stimulation to certain parts of your brain Take it the, easy. the white light. The tunnel experience. Yeah, that's what you say. (laughs) Oh, I can do it right. Well, let me give you another martini. We'll make that happen right now. The point being is that uh, it only goes so far. People will say like with infrasound, it's like, well, at the right vibration, some people of fraction, 10 to 25, that's very generous. 20% of people will see a gray blob forming out the corner of your eye. And people who debunk that say, well, that's ghosts. That's all ghosts. That's what they're seeing. It's a gray blob produced by a faulty air conditioning system. But here's the connection. If you've ever had a relative, and I I personally have, again, nothing really dramatic has happened to me, but I remember with my great-grandmother, she was dying and saying, I've had so many visits from dead relatives as she was on her deathbed. Uncle Juddy came and visited me, and he said, don't worry, we're waiting for you, and we'll be here when you get here. And that's somebody who died 50 years ago. How would she remember that? She couldn't remember what she had for lunch yesterday. And this stuff was written about 125 years ago by William Barrett in his book, Deathbed Visions. This stuff has been talked about. It's been documented anecdotally. But after 125 years, you know, look at it. Yes, carbon monoxide. There was a This American Life episode, I think, about how- A carbon monoxide leak within a house can produce in a human being who's breathing the carbon monoxide hauntings. Oh, sure, sure. That's awesome. 
And that's good to know. And that gives you a place to start. Because then when you're on ghost investigations on some cable TV show, that's something to check off the box. Right. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe it isn't, but go ahead and look there. I frankly don't care. If there is an explanation, if this is all some weird psychological state that people go into for some reason that has nothing to do with an exterior intelligence, I'd still like to know. But we're never going to know because you're not allowed to ask. Because when you do, you're crazy and you get drummed out of the science club. And you're not allowed to hang out with them anymore. And you can ask J. Allen Hynek, and you can ask Jacques Vallée and the other members of the Invisible College. And you can talk to Stephen Broad, a parapsychologist, who once he started asking questions and saying, hey, I'm really looking into the experiences that people are having in terms of hauntings and in terms of mediumship. I mean, he was basically persona non grata. It was like, well, you've basically handed in your science card and you're a lunatic and we don't want to talk to you anymore because even talking to you affects us. Right. And to say there is no culture to science, that somehow science is beyond that is ridiculous. Academia, Hollywood, name your profession, there is a culture. It's all practiced by humans and humans have human behavior. And science has every reason to hate anything that smacks of religion because those are the people that burned them at the stake. I get it. 500 years ago, if you were the one describing how planets and stars really moved through the heavens, religious people were going to kill you. I get it. We've all heard the stories. Not really happening now. Yes, it is climate change. Well, you know what? Then maybe it is. And that's what makes this so difficult. Because there are scientists who are like, we're even being questioned on that. So for us to now talk about UFOs, (laughs) screw it. We've given up the game. And I get it. And believe me, I love science. I want scientists. We all do. Yeah, all three of us here. Sure. I want to be cured of all the diseases I'm going to get in the next 30 years. But it is strange and somewhat sad, somewhat, that people are not allowed to ask those other questions without risking their professional reputations. That's human behavior. But if you pair all that away to the individual, and we always say this, like nobody believes anything until it happens to them. And none of that matters because when you get down to the emotional, when it's your own family or your loved one, and something happens to you that has deep meaning, like Michael Shermer, he eventually came out at the end of his article and said, you know what? I think at the end of it, yeah, it was very emotional. It had a lot of meaning. And I, I felt my wife to be my who I just married. It's like it meant a lot. And it was a lot of joy because here's somebody that she beloved throughout her childhood who came back to say hello one, one last time. I'm here. But I choose not to believe it. Well, you can do that. That's fine. <laughs> you know what? It, it, that's fine. You can come at the, at the end of the article and say, my rationality says that's not possible. So I'm going to say... Somehow the old batteries kicked in and this radio that hadn't been played for years came on and played the song that they both shared. But it's interesting because I have such respect for that guy. A guy whose typical stance I don't agree with, but for even chancing it, I know he got for that. I know he did. I would love to know exactly what style and amount he got. Right. I would love to know what the blowback was. I haven't heard it. I haven't dug into it. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But I'm guessing he did. I'm sure he did. And Rich, here's the point, though. We all have to walk through life with our own beliefs. And, you know, no matter what 
anybody tells you what you should be believing or not, you can choose not to believe that. But deep down, it's like, what's more wonderful to believe that he was there and to open up to that and say like, you know what? That's a beautiful moment. But again, you're using the word belief. We're not three believers. We have not experienced enough. Stop me if I'm wrong. To call any of us believers, we're simply going, wait a second. I don't believe these people are drunk, crazy, or lying. What's left? That's what this show is about. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm interested in. And I would rather hear that around a campfire at night than someone going, well, that's all crap. Let's move on and talk about the Hubble telescope. Right. Talk about the Hubble telescope, but also talk about this. This is the stuff we still need to figure out. It's still the human part of it. And regardless of your career or what's going to happen to you, you have a choice. What have you heard? Huh? <laughs> well, you're going to be fired soon. I did hear that. I saw it on Twitter. Doesn't it take true. a genius. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's so, like we've been saying all tonight, it's such a personal thing. And you don't have to tell other people. You don't have to tell what you believe. But you have to live with your own choices and what you believe in. And why not believe in the wonderful? Now that we've meandered on for over an hour and a half. It Has it been? We, I thought it was at least <laughs> three hours, it's really. by quickly. Maybe we should talk about what we said we were going to talk about. No. What did you promise your listeners that we have not delivered on? We were going to talk a little bit more about all the Mothman sightings in Chicago. Well. That are going on. Ah, if I it believe. promotes repeated I mean, we, viewing of the movie... <laughs> I say let's talk about it. <laughs> right, because you get a million dollars every time somebody watches it, right? He gets a check for 48 cents every time it's played <laughs> on uh, network television. Technically, it adds up. I, All right, yeah. look, yeah. more people. And if you want a sequel, write to your senator or congressman. Well, one of the yeah. guys in the research corps suggested that he wanted to know if you were going to be directing Mothman 2 Electric Boogaloo. And it, oh my god, I, that is that is the class. <laughs> it is so funny for a movie that no one ever saw, Breakin, and then its sequel, Breakin' 2, Electric, Electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo. We, I've been making that joke for 35 years. Mm. It's a wonderful joke. <laughs> Listener, I I support you. Yeah, okay. Mothman yeah. 2, Electric, Electric Boogaloo. Boogaloo. Yeah, well, what happens in this is well, that- Well, frankly, that's a great title for a second Mothman movie. That actually makes a little bit of sense. Well, the Mothman has to save- Oh, uh, there's Bug. There's Bug in the title. Indrid yeah. Cold is going to tear down the dance hall where everybody dances and replace it with a uh, parking garage for Men in Black. And they have to say, and the Mothman has to save it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I think that was the plot of the disco movie Friday. That, no, that's the plot of uh, a lot of 80s movies. Breaking 2, okay. Electric Boogaloo. Well, then they stole it from the movie Fridays, which is a disco movie. They're going to tear down the, the place. They're, They're all the same. Oh, there was, yeah. uh, it's kind of apropos of nothing, but my son sent me this Tumblr joke. Yeah. Apparently, Tumblr is something the young people do. It's not Tumblr, it's just <laughs> Tumblr. Well, <laughs> you, you, it's not a is it gymnasium. The, is it the Tumblr? <laughs> oh my God, let's not get into the Imgur joke. Imgur. Scott thought it was Imgur for many no, years. No, I didn't. Thought, no, well, I thought it was Imgur. This is bad. What is Imgur? <laughs> Whatever. Imgur. It's the visual component to it's Reddit. It's a dumb name for a website. Okay, I'm sorry. What were so we talking anyway, about? It's missing a vowel. The funny thing that yeah. my son sent me yes. was something on Tumblr, and it was sort of in the form of a joke where, you know, first person says this, second person says that. And it involved people at a bar. And the first person at the bar orders and says, I'll have a Bloody Mary. And the other person says, Bloody Mary, because they want one too. And then you cut to the mirror behind the bar where Bloody Mary is like, please, please, please. (laughs) (laughs) And the third person says, I'll have what they're having. (laughs) (laughs) That is is good. Nice. (laughs) 
Thank you, Tumblr. Yeah. Tumblr. Tumblr. Well, let's, so yeah. let's talk about the Mothman. Well, finally, please. He's back yeah. in Chicago. What are the odds that it's just somebody that's built a funny-looking drone? Uh, to- well, zero. Look, <laughs> <laughs> the other point is, like, it's a man in a wingsuit. I, I must admit zero. it looks like that. But you have to leap off of something because that's called base jumping. Well, a lot of these sightings, too, they report that it's floating and it flies up in front okay. of them. That's, that's a great point. And Scott, before you get into any more of that, it's something that I researched in the last day or two that I wanted to bring up with... Uh, well, sorry, My name is name? Richard. Thank you, Rich. It's the motion of movement that was described with the original Mothman. I believe it was actually... It predates the first original sighting was with the construction workers the day before the official day. Remember, they saw some kind of brown creature, semi-winged, shoot straight up into the sky. Oh, and yeah. we've talked about With this. its wings extended, but not flapping. Yes. That's the characteristic move. Basically, the idea is that these things don't operate. You can't say like, well, I didn't see it flap its wings, or it looks too heavy to be lifted by flight of leathery wings. There's something else going on that is John well, Keel ultra-terrestrial that is not predicated on the physics of our present reality. Right. So then the question is, is there something within our physical reality that behaves like that? And if there is, that's your go-to. If there, Hummingbirds? Yeah, like, I don't know. What what experience do we have of seeing things? I don't believe that at all. Scott's showing me a picture that <laughs> right. I, I don't, this I don't picture believe picture from picture. 2016. You know what, though? Someone said that this was an owl carrying a snake, which I think makes sense. Oh, let me see mm, it again. Mm. We'll a put frog. this picture on our... It's an owl carrying a frog. Or, yeah, or something like that. Oh, I see, but it looks like those are legs. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Flying for, yeah, whatever. yeah. I mean, look, pictures are impossible. You can't, yeah. in this day and age, you can't. First of all, these things are silent. When you're talking about UFOs, talking about Mothman. Sure. Drones aren't silent. Drones drone. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, so that's first. Drones drone. <laughs> I don't know of anything that flies without moving its wings. I will tell you that in October of 2013, North of San Francisco, in a place called Nick's Cove, my wife Susan and I were attending a wedding. And it was over the weekend. It was a great wedding. And as we were leaving, driving along sort of a coastal road, we saw a large bird perched on a telephone pole with its wings out, just sitting there with its wings out. You have no idea how weird this looked. Oh, that's very unusual. Yeah, they don't do that. To the point where I was just staring at it, and we drove, and we drove past it, and I looked behind us at it, and it was just sitting there with its wings out. And I'm like, this is really weird. I've never seen this. So my wife got on her phone and within 10 seconds had an explanation because we all have phones now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it's like, hey, have you ever seen a big giant bird with its wings out, just sitting there with its wings out? Can I make a guess before you tell me? Please, California condor? Yes, I believe it was. It was one of those big birds. Yeah. Yeah. Big California bird. Do you know what it was doing or what the theories are? Here's the thing I know. I have been to the zoo in Santa Barbara. I took my son. We rode the train out of Burbank and we went up Mm -hmm. there for a day trip went to that zoo, and they have a, a few of them there, and they were doing it there. And their wingspan is absurdly huge. Oh, it's like six or seven feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know. huge. But it's an odd look. Yeah, but it looks like a vulture. It's got the bald, ugly head. But with the wings out, 
and just staying yes. like that. That's yes. just not a profile you see a lot. Yes. Yeah, so what did your uh, what did same Susan thing. find? And by the way, it's not known. It's yeah. known that birds do this, but it's yeah. not known exactly why. One theory is that they're cooling themselves down. Another theory is they're sort of like if they have mites, it has something to do with like some sort of- Yeah, uh, that's, that's showing, what you uh, do. Scott's showing me a picture of something that looks vaguely with, like yeah, mites, yeah, yeah. part of a cartoon illustration <laughs> with Wile E. Coyote. But <laughs> I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's either cooling down or it's, it has something to do with cleaning itself, but it is an observed thing that people who study birds, sure. ornithologists, I I've believe, had to, yeah, they're I've... calling themselves. So it's an observable phenomenon. Right. And there were some theories and that was it. It was not Mothman. It was not, oh my God, something paranormal. Well, isn't Richard Haddam someone who's predisposed to come up with a paranormal explanation for everything he sees? Probably. No, as a matter of fact, no. not. I'm a oh. human being, as most human beings are. They look for the most common explanation, not the weirdest one. That is my belief. These people in Chicago are seeing something that exhibits a wingspan and then takes off from the ground, but doesn't flap its wings. The descriptions are different of all the events. Some people are saying glowing red eyes. Other people specifically saying no glowing red eyes. They're seeing it all over the place, you know. And then the next thing they're thinking is that it's a harbinger of doom, which I believe we determined from your screenplay that you made that observation up? Well, just because I made it up doesn't mean it's not happening in real life. <laughs> no, but you are right, the can man. Can we please agree on this? <laughs> right. I'm just, He's trying to sell a movie. But, why? but I mean, seriously, I mean, this That's is- That's a hindsight you know, is twenty twenty thing on the Silver Bridge to say, oh, well, it appeared because the bridge was going to collapse. If you enjoy these conversations, please purchase- <laughs> the Miracles, the oh, complete miracles. series by Richard Haddam on Amazon immediately and watch all 13 yeah. episodes with Skeet Ulrich. It's awesome. But my point is this. <laughs> he gets 47 cents with every purchase. <laughs> Why are we trying to interpret the meaning of something where we don't even know the thing to begin with? We rush right to meaning. It's a harbinger of doom, but we don't even know what the thing is yet. Sure. And as far as I know... No specifically demonstrably cataclysmic thing has happened in Chicago in the last couple of months. It's well, a big city. People get killed. People yeah. get killed in LA and New York and St. Louis and everywhere else. But I haven't heard of any other thing in Chicago. Have you? We are in contact with a friend of the show, a paranormal author, written a number of books here. Name his name. I don't want to name the person because they have not given me permission to oh, okay. state this observation, but we were talking about this exact same thing. Actually, they brought it up before. For these circles, they said, hey, don't you think that something's going on with the Chicago Mothman flap? And so we conversed back and forth, and they were saying, like, well, maybe it has something to do with the level of urban violence that's happening and all the people that are being killed. No, Rich, no, hold on, hold Rich on. Rich is looking very incredulous. No, well, but here's the thing. When you see— I agree with you, by the way. It's like with other sightings. First of all, going back to car trips with your wife, I think part of the answer may be— Strange things are seen on road trips with your wife. No, it's not. Why is we, this suddenly about my wife, Forrest? It's not. The point is that the first story that I heard with this other person who will remain unnamed is that there were two car trips with your wife in which something strange happened that he perceived differently than she did. Not to say that who's right or who's wrong. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but there's it, nothing weird about a condor. No, but what I'm saying is that- well, uh, it's my, rare. My, my no, no. experience with my wife has been typically that I am wrong. And you are the strange one, yes. <laughs> no, we all know that. Either the car trip, so. We all know that. But as some people in our own research circle will say, these things sometimes happen to specific people repeatedly that you were, as Orfeo said, you're kind of chosen in a way. We don't know why. We don't know the reasons or mechanics of it. 
But the other Netflix documentary, the guy who was cursed was seeing UFOs. Yeah, that's supposed to be really good. I haven't it's supposed seen to be that very one good. yet. But this happens in patterns. Again, I'm just kind of joking to include your wife with this. But what I'm saying is that there does seem to be people who these kind of things happen. And it's not just UFOs. It's like UFOs, cryptids, ghosts, and a few other paranormal things. Right. Why is that? We don't know. We can't quantify that. But to your point of like what's happening in Chicago is that why are they seeing these things that are slightly different in that the descriptions of some of the motions are the same, but like one of the descriptions that Lon Strickler brings up and has great documentation of all, of all these events, one description is that these seem like the top halves of butterfly wings in which they were attached along the length of the torso, which means it's not like a condor where you have the muscle and the bone, like an arm or a bat that's doing the flapping. It's more like a bug. And sometimes they were moving. And again, I love the descriptions because it was kind of like Neo in, in the Matrix where he kind of spirals up and does this dive. Couldn't we all love to move like that? And these are not bird-like movements. They're not operating on the physics of aerodynamics as we know them with birds and lift and all those things. This is something else going on when this creature dives down, as this one couple, Lakeshore Drive, I believe, described, is that this thing kind of swooped down and hovered about five feet off the ground for moments. Unlike a bird, birds don't do that. When you look at the Kelly Hopkinsville incident and have Joe Nichols saying like, well, you know, birds often swoop down and they don't make any noise, but their wings are extended to have to do that. They are gliding down. They're not hovering down or floating down after you shoot them with a shotgun, as was described. So what I say is going on here is that what people are describing with the Chicago flap is that there is some very unnatural movements as we know them, which extend beyond the descriptions of natural flora and fauna. These aren't moving like animals. There's something else happening. And going back to the part where those construction workers in West Virginia, the day before the first big sighting happened, is that they see this thing shot up into the air unnaturally without flapping its wings. It's not like, if you look at a big bird, it has to get a lot of motion going, a lot of air under its wings to get some lift to finally take off, unless it's jumping from a high point. That's not what people describe with this thing. It shoots up straight into the air. It dives straight down. It does these turns. It does incredible things. That one couple described the wings as being translucent, like they could see the building lights glowing through the wings as if they were gossamer or like bug wings. It's impossible to put a natural spin on this. Well, Neutral depends, Omaha kind of nat a naturalistic point of view on this. None of this makes sense. Well, it depends on the sightings and how you're categorizing them and if and if people are not seeing the same things. And, you know, truthfully, Micah Hanks did a, a blog entry at Mysterious Universe Oh, about yeah, he's this. great. I love um, him. Yeah. yeah, and one of the things that he was saying was that the, in his blog entry that MUFON stated at the end of April that we can't rule out a hoax at this point. Sure. They seem to believe that it's quite likely some kind of hoax. It could be. It could very well be. That could but, always but be I the I don't answer. understand. A hoax or an actual report followed up upon by other people jumping on some sort of paranormal bandwagon like, oh, I saw it too. Well, there's some of that that happens. I mean, there's no question. We come down to the owl thing, which we beat it to death in the Kelly Hopkinsville series, but about as, the owls. As the farm occupants did as well. The, well, they shot it to death, yes. <laughs> they, and by the way, I'm sorry. I mean, you know. I know you I'm, didn't listen to it. I'm sorry I missed those podcasts. That's okay. Because I have a thing called a life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what? I didn't watch the Gates uh, either. So oh, there you go. We'll get That's fine. Oh, oh, my boy. God. You, you and I got words later. <laughs> um, but the Hopkinsville thing, 
I'm from Los Angeles. I was born here. I live here. I know about coyotes, possums, and raccoons. I don't know from owls. I'm assuming people who live in that area, if owls are a common occurrence, then I kind of have to assume that they know what an owl looks like. Yes, exactly. That's what we talked about, yeah. yeah. Even John Keel said, and I did not, I got to give credit again to Micah Hanks in this particular mm. entry mm-hmm. that he made, but he was pointing out how even Keel said that he thought that some of the Mothman sightings in West Virginia were people mistaking owls. And he actually is quoting a section here that says that himself, he was at the TNT area and an owl came down, swooped next to the car, and it had a full-size rabbit in its talons and... He said, I believe, sure, some people could have mistaken that for something else. Absolutely. That can always be a natural thing combined with something weird or just all natural or just all weird. Two different things. Joe Nichols sitting in his house wherever, accusing people of being drunk or whatever his theory is. I like Joe Nickel. I'm not. And, and please send your no criticisms is, to what, Rich what, what, at his what, what personal email. Yeah. John Keel was there when it was happening. Yeah. He was at ground zero literally trying to figure it out, not trying to prove it, not trying to debunk it, right? trying to just gather information. And by the way, what do you think is going on in Chicago? I have no idea. Well, here's the And thing. I certainly don't know the meaning of it because I don't know what it is. Right, so right. until we know what it is, jumping to what it means, and this is very much, again, shamelessly plugging my own show. Mm. This is what Miracles was about. It was about the human (laughs) desire to immediately assign meaning to something we don't understand before we try to take the time to understand it. Yeah. Understand it first before you just use anything and everything as an ink blot and go, that's what it is. And that's what it means. We don't know what it means. We don't know what any of this means. Let's figure out what it is first. Yeah. If something weird happens to you, and you choose to imbue that with meaning, I say go ahead. Don't let anybody tell you, like, well, you don't know what you saw, and you don't know what it means to you. If you take some great meaning to it, I've heard plenty of stories. Jim Harold in his Campfire series, talks about his own experience, unfortunately, with a brother that passed away. And this brother of his loved this one really obscure Lawrence Welk song. And as they were coming away from the funeral... The song comes on the radio that never comes on the radio. Nobody plays Lawrence Welk on the radio, but his brother, who had had challenges, loved this song, and suddenly they're driving away. It's like, my God, what are the chances of that happening? Well, yeah, it can possibly happen. A DJ says, let me pull out this old dusty Lawrence Welk record. I'm going to play this one really obscure tune. Obviously, that can happen, and maybe that's what did happen. Doesn't matter what people say, like, well, the DJ played that. You take away the meaning that you want from that and live with that because that's what has meaning to yourself. You're hitting on something very important. And this is, I'm putting this call out to everyone within the sound of my voice. Witnesses and experiencers, please help us. Guy listening to the radio, don't tell me a story like that. Tell me the day it happened and the station you were listening to. And the name of the DJ who had, it's 2017. This is information we can (laughs) get. And then let's go talk to that person. Let's go talk to the person. We can go find a human being. That's what we try to do. Yeah. That's what you need to do. So ladies and gentlemen, and maybe this is part and parcel of the experience, experience, but here's what I'm going to say to you. If you ever start seeing something you don't understand, if you're within the sound of my voice, take a minute, look around you. If there's another human being, scream at that human being and go, look at that. What the heck is that? Then go get that person's information like you were in a car accident. Right. Go get their cell phone number. Go find out what they saw. 
Did they see anything? Help us out. These things are always so singular, and yet often they happen in areas where there is more than one person. Drag your eyes away from whatever phenomenon you're staring at. Look at another human being and go, are you seeing the thing with the red eyes? Help us out here. Yes, I totally agree. And then agree. write down the day and the time that it happens. Don't tell me, well, this happened either sometime in the 80s. I had an experience. To hell with that. Tell me the day it happened. Right, but here's the problem with that. This one account that Lon Strickler mentions, I think is the premier and best documented account, happened on the block of 1400 North Lakeshore Drive. Yes. As they turned on to East Schiller Street uh, around that intersection. Thank you. There were other witnesses. They say that there was a delivery driver. I'm not saying FedEx, but somebody, you know, kind of a delivery driver who saw it. A few other people, there was one account that saw a flash of a camera strobe. There's other people that did see this and shrieks were let out as this happened. But your point earlier is that nobody's going to come forward and say, it's just human nature. They're not going to say like, all seven of us saw this. But why wouldn't you? If one person sees it and you have backup, hold on a second. Now let's, let's really tear this apart. Sure. What are we really saying? Because some people did come forward or else we would not have heard about it in the first place. And now we're saying, well, of course, the other people who were there are not going to come forward. But why not? Oh, because of the same if, reasons you, you mentioned earlier. But if there's another person standing right next to them saying, I saw something. Even the, so what are we dealing with here on a human level? What, what you're dealing, dealing with? with, Rich, on a human level is your personal willingness to put it out there. How far are you willing to go to stand behind your beliefs? And that's one of the things that we noticed in the uh, KH experience. It was remarkable that some police officers came forward and said, hey, it could be possible that these farmers were telling the truth because I saw something similar a year prior to this. And you know what? I'm not going to discount this. I don't think they were drunk. I was there. Later on, you fancy psychologists, Monday morning quarterbacking this, saying these people were drunk. I was there and I don't think that was the case. I saw something similar to this. I think it could be possible. That's one thing. When you're talking about Chicago, by these witnesses saw this. Now, in this one incident that Lon Strickler mentions, the husband did come on. It was a phone interview that he was able to take with them. But even the husband was like, he said, mentioned only a few things and did not want to come on the air because you know what? Again, even between a couple, a husband and wife, the wife was able to at least describe it. And the husband was like, I'm not touching that. Yeah, I was there. We did see that. That's all I'm going to say. Because even between a couple, a husband and wife, it's so very personal. This happens all the time. Couples that politically believe one thing or the other, and if they live together, they're able to do that, but they don't agree on everything. In this case, I think the husband was like, I can't come forward and describe. I'll say, yes, I was there. Um, it all depends on how you hear these things. And that's what's sure. interesting. From a debunker's point of view, a Michael Shermer, a James Randi point of view, it'll be, well, the husband stood right next to her and said he didn't see anything like that. Right. But if you listen to that same information, another very reasonable person could go, well, she saw something and is willing to speak it. Right. And he saw the same thing, but is not willing to speak it. To a degree. For the very reasons that he will be torn apart by the Michael Shermers and the James Randys of the world. Oh, probably his work too. Yeah. And work and whatever. So to not acknowledge that the minute you tell the story, you become suspect. Oh, sure. Whether you're a cop or the town drunk, it's the story that makes you suspect. And it really is just, look, 125 years ago, there were a lot of things that exist in the realm of mental illness that we didn't understand that we understand now, but we're very shrouded in the mists of 
speculation and suspicion. If there was a woman, God forbid you were a woman claiming you were having weird experiences, well, then you're hysterical in the Victorian era. That's why we call it a hysterectomy, because this was thought of as a female disease. Spring-heeled Jack. The women that were attacked by, or claimed to be attacked by Spring-heeled Jack, while you had the vapors. Right. So we're going to give you a hysterectomy. We're going to literally remove your reproductive organs because it's making you crazy. Talk about the way women were considered non-humans then, and that was 125 years ago. So what are we saying now? It's still somehow culturally illegal or immediately goes into, well, you're a crazy person who's trying to profit from this. Now people can talk about being depressed and going to a therapist for depression in certain areas. Mm -hmm. In other areas of America, that is still considered suspect. The whole realm of going to therapy, psychological therapy, is, to the hard sciences, still considered pseudoscience. The very idea that people suffer from depression is questioned still. Yeah, it's not a disease. It's not a real thing, you know, or controllable if you just just snap out of it. Right. Well, what are you sad about? (laughs) Yeah. I'm not saying these things exist outside of science and science will never be able to explain them. I'm saying that science refuses to look at certain things for fear of not being taken seriously. What these people are experiencing, I mean, again, all I can say is if you're out there, you have an experience, there's got to, shouldn't there be a protocol? Yeah, absolutely. Shouldn't there be a checklist? Yeah. That we can we can just sort of disseminate among the public. If you see something you don't think is normal, it's, it's like, you know, when someone is having a stroke, you know, here are the four signs to look for. When someone is choking, <laughs> look for these four. Yeah, yeah. If, if, you know, if you see something, say something. If people are going to witness this stuff, should there be a checklist? Immediately, blink your eyes twice, look away, look back. Okay? Then look around for other human witnesses, get them to back you up and right. say, what is that thing? And see what they're saying. I mean, Orfeo Angelucci did it. We talked about that. Yeah. And by the way, there are hoaxes. Hoaxes get exposed all the time. Amityville is a hoax. It was written about extensively by Stephen Kaplan in a book entitled, appropriately enough, The Amityville Horror Hoax. What about okay? that photo of the child, though? Listen, there is nothing. <laughs> it's one of my, it's one of my I mean, favorite I mean, I mean there is nothing more popular and lucrative than the Amityville horror. It's a hoax. It has been demonstrably proven, okay? And that's okay for things to be proven as hoaxes. If you want to tell me that the Patterson-Gimlin film is a hoax, I'm totally ready to believe you. Show me the suit. If there's a suit, it exists in real life. Someone did it and will be the most famous human being in the world. All they have to do is go, here's the suit. Let me put it on and recreate the film. No one's ever done it. Stories rolling around all the time. But if something exists in reality, it should be a lot easier to prove the hoax than prove the mystical, non-material story that's going around, but no one's done it. Billy Meyer, remember the guy? He's the guy who literally has a book of like giant UFOs flying around his house, okay? Then they found the UFOs in his basement, okay? It's okay to admit that people hoax things. Sure, sure. As I said earlier, the earliest investigators did it all the time, and that's important. When there's a hoax, call it out by all means. But when something remains unproven or there's still a question mark, then let it remain in the question mark area and bring whatever we have, whatever tools we have, and let's investigate it seriously and don't dismiss it as owls. 
Go ahead and investigate it. By the way, if it's 50 years old, forget about it. It's happening now. Investigate the ones now. 50 years ago, can't do anything about that. We're moving on. Right. As we go forward from this point on, and in our digital internet age, there will be more challenging and hard to disprove documentations of things. Not to say that they're all real. In this case here with the Chicago Mothman flap, or the Owl Man Flap, or the Monkey Man, the Batman, Bat Boy, Owl Boy. There's actually a lot of titles for this because that's part of this phenomenon is that so many people have described different things. Well, it looked more like a flying monkey or an owl or this and that, or actually it was more bat-like or it was more Mothman-like, where it had a tiny pointed head that came to a narrow thing. The point being is that as these things go on, you'll have better documentation and that will happen but we'll never get around the human aspect of it in two areas. One, we're not sure what everyone's seeing. And is it the same? For real, somebody is seeing the same exact creature. Obviously then, let's say half of the sightings are actual real reportings. The other 50% are just people trying to jump on the bandwagon. 50% are real. There's probably about 30 to, I would say to 40% of sightings to this day when the show releases, when this happens. So of those, let's say just 20 sightings are actually real sightings that have been really reported with people. Those are all going to differ as to what they're seeing. If they're all different, is that 20 different creatures or it's one creature that 20 people are seeing differently? 20 yeah. instances. That's a good question. We'll never know that. This is all unquantifiable. Well, we might. And that's what I loved about Keel is that the only thing that we can do is document this, record this. And that's what the MUFON people are doing. Let's not judge this. Let's not put any meaning to this. Like you were saying before, let's document this and get the data first. Then maybe we can see some patterns as to what's happening. And I always say this about little clues that we find, but I try to make connections. If there's one thing I can yeah. do is make connections and patterns and different things. And in two ghost stories I've heard where there's two separate people years apart telling the same story where the two different entities who look totally different said a very similar thing. And that phrase was, oh my lovely, what a mirror image we are. What do you mean by that? It was like in THX, like there was really low vibrational hum and it stuck with him. And then I heard another story where this woman, she looked up on her ceiling and it looked like this pool, like she was underwater that was lit. It was kind of beautiful, crystal blue. And this voice came out from it and it said, my, what a mirror image we are. They don't know each other. No, totally two separate stories over, maybe at least a year apart being told. I don't think there's any connection. Why would you even make that weird connection? You can take that clue, that little bit, like, what does that mean? Is there something on the other side that's exactly like us? Is it a parallel dimension? Is it something that's on the other side of the veil? They can see us and we're so close, but we're different. We're just in another realm. Let's take the little bits that are similar. It's like, well, what's similar about all these, maybe 20 of these 50 sightings that is real? What's this, the common element? Is that these things seem to float, like they're kind of flying, but they're not like a bird. They shoot up into the air, they come down, they hover without flapping their wings for moments, uh, for seconds on end. They don't behave like natural creatures, yet they have wings. What does that mean? Part of what Lon Strickler talked about was the emotional reaction people had to oh, these particular yeah. things, which I think should be noted. It has to be secondary because if you see something that you don't immediately understand, you might have that sort of uncanny valley kind of reaction. Yeah. But go ahead and file it away. And if you're really talking Mothman, it's not just one thing. 
Now, you know, you hesitate to say, well, I wonder if anyone's having experience B, C, D, or E, because the minute you mention them, you've planted the idea. And Chicago's a huge place, and there's millions of people. But, I mean, the great thing about Point Pleasant was there weren't that many people, and it was 50 years ago. So it was like a better control group. But still, are there other attendant phenomenon going on or just these sightings? And also, nothing's happened in Chicago yet. So, I mean, believe me, the minute something happens, everyone will go, oh, that's what it was about. It's like celebrities you, dying in threes. You want to make connections. That's a human you nature make, thing. Yeah, well, sure. yeah, you want to make connections. I don't think there's enough information yet to draw any conclusions from what's happening in Chicago. That's my personal feeling about right, right. what's happening there. If there's more stuff, I'm anxious to hear it. <laughs> That's going to wrap up this thing that we're calling a topical episode. I don't know. You know, I think it was good. (laughs) Well, to our listeners, either it's you're welcome or we're sorry. Special thanks to Rich Haddam. Please remember to support our sponsors, get books in our bookstore, buy our ringtone, join our Facebook group, and visit our Patreon page. We'll be back next week with something that we haven't officially figured out yet. Special thanks to John Bolin. R-I-C-H-A-R-D-H-A- T-E-M. Our show is edited by Sarah Voorhees-Wendel, and the theme is by Judson Crane. Sound design is by Ryan McCullough. Special thanks to The Ark and its lead researcher, Tess Feifel. But most importantly, we want to thank our listeners. You can find us online at astonishinglegends.com, as well as Facebook, Patreon, Twitter, and Instagram. Copyright Scott Philbrook and Forrest Burgess. Good night. Good night.